hello and welcome to episode number 317 of the Plain Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos, I'm back this week and on today's fully fledged packed show we hear of sad news as Virgin pull out of Gatwick but someone is already eyeing up some of their slots. Even in lockdown there are still flights breaking out on one low cost carrier or fights I should say cue the beer in the states and there's another accidental discharge this time in a ba hangar in the military the celebrations take place despite these unusual conditions and the lidos led led team pitches bronco 2 into special operations command so joining me as always this week over in the ptuk studios with a beer in hand i'm pleased to say this week is of course Matt Smith. Uh, well, hello there. Hello there, everyone. It's uh, nice to be back. Uh, uh, do you know, uh, do you think there ever will be a time where you can actually come to the studio, Carlos? I mean, you know. That would be nice. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that would save me having to bring the beer around and sort of well, sling it at your, yes, uh, yes, throw it at your front door. Quite. I, I should say. And I drive was, off. I was very lucky this week. I had, and I should just, I should just show you, look, here we are, look. Uh, I had a uh, a delivery, shall we say? Sorry, the writing in it is in green, so it's disappearing with the backdrop. But uh, yes, I had I had a, a Red Cross parcel delivered to my home uh, in the week, um, and uh, so I have I have some lager to enjoy during the show. Thank you, Carlos. That's all right. That's all right. We're, so we're always here to look after uh, our, our essential workers, <laughs> which which is you, Matt. <laughs> So yeah. joining us, joining us this week, as always, uh, he's the guy who always keeps his banana polished and shiny. It's, of course, Neville Bounds. Yes, I've been doing a lot of that over the last few days, I can tell you. Um, hello, everybody. Hope you are well. Well, this is my uh, beginning of my three weeks off, not off of the show, but off of work. So I'm not back at work until the 1st of June. So I've got to find things to do. So I phoned up uh, my old mate, uh, Alex Cruz, and said, if you could uh, send me some of that nice beer, uh, which he has done. And uh, I shall be uh, motoring my way through that uh, during the course of the show. Nice. Nice. Oh, that's a, that's a, that, can I ask a very personal question? How much did you get? Oh, just 24 cans. So oh. that'll just last me until tomorrow, probably. Right. Uh, so I need to get some more. Okay, so, yeah. just last you the weekend then. Yes, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and just quickly, Nev, for, for, the, for the benefit of those in the chat room who might be, uh, who might have tried that before or would like to try that, uh, is it easy to obtain that? It is, yes. Go to the BrewDog website and perhaps we'll put a link in the show notes, maybe. Who knows? Um, and, uh, yeah, you can order it online and it takes about four or five days to arrive. So, uh, okay, yeah, cool. really good, actually. And it tastes just as nice at ground level as it does at uh, see, flight see, level that's, 370. That's interesting for me because I, I kind of assumed that it would taste very different on the ground than in the air, mm. you know, because of the no. different cabin pressures and all that kind of thing. No, I think it's good. So, um, yeah, try it out. See what so the last time we had some of that, Nev, we were in the club world um, part of the aircraft on the 7-4. Yes, that's right. On the way back, yeah. we were. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And yeah. uh, when we, yes, flying. Rem- remember that? <laughs> yeah, yes, that's all in, those days. Back in the days, yes. <laughs> wow. And actually, Nev, I think we're quite lucky because that probably was probably one of the last flights of that aircraft that uh, that we were well, on. Well, yes, um, maybe we'll talk about a bit, a bit about mm. that later on. But uh, yeah, that's uh, I'm not sure how many of these seven fours they're going to retain. Actually, so we'll have to see. So this week we are missing Armando. He sends his apologies, and uh, 
uh, we all miss Armando. Obviously, we do miss Armando every week. Um, but uh, he sent us in some military stuff for this week, so we've got that coming up later. But we have got an awesome uh, co-host joining us, uh, guest host joining us on the show this week. He is uh, one half of the Plane Safety Podcast. And, uh, well, it's safe to say he is um, a legend unto himself. Welcome onto the show, Captain Al. Thank you very much. A very good evening. Good morning, good afternoon, or if you don't like me, goodbye. Okay. <laughs> we watch everyone tune out now. Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> thanks for that. <laughs> no, seriously, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, yes, representing the Plane Safety Podcast, I'm the better looking out of the two. Yes. And also <laughs> the more educated and erudite. And, I, sh- uh, I, should, I should just say that we did invite Pip, but unfortunately he's actually involved in, because uh, we're recording on the Friday and it is VE Day today here in the UK. And uh, he's actually involved in sort of uh, celebrations uh, to do with that. I, I was kind of hoping he was going to be on actually, because of sort of the idea of it, um, sort of like what they're doing, obviously, given these weird times and sort of social distancing, uh, it would... Uh, but uh, well, perhaps perhaps it'll appear in a, in a plane safety uh, when you do one next. Actually, I have to say, Al, you know, I've seen a few recent pictures of uh, a certain Pip, and uh, you've definitely got the better hair cut out of the two. <laughs> <laughs> well, quite. Yeah. Well, yeah. at least mine has to be cut rather than just naturally falling out. <laughs> yeah, that's a, there, is, there, there is that. Yeah. <laughs> It's, so date and time check. It's the eighth of May. Obviously, it's VE Day, very special day across the uh, across the country. Street parties going on everywhere uh, across the uh, across the UK. Or as Pip put in a message to me when he was explaining why he may not be able to be here, VD Day, which I thought that, was quite a lovely, you know an open <laughs> statement. <laughs> That's quite a, it's quite the confession, isn't it? Uh, actually, while we're mentioning date and time checks, uh, of course, uh, many of you will probably remember a bit like me. Is it a bit sad like me? I, I mean, I don't know. What were you doing on May the 4th, Carlos? Uh, watching Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek, don't you start. You're as bad as that man who's, who's just two windows across from you. Honestly, it's, uh, uh, it, it was a fantastic day for me, as I say, because I'm a bit of a... Son. Was it Snore Wars? Yeah, it was. Yeah, Snore Wars, yes, absolutely. I know we do this every single time, but there's some great liveries that uh, that have been doing the round. And a couple which I'm trying to find here, actually. So ANA, I think this is the one. Oh, it's uh, C-3PO, isn't it? That, that, that's That's... that's Oh, I just, I've got a head. It's just not the enterprise, <laughs> is it? Uh, yeah, there's a very cool video actually that uh, was uh, that was released. I'm just going to try and play it for you now. Um, of I think it was a Virgin plane that was coming in to uh, to uh, being being guided in, shall we say? Uh, and uh, the gentleman on the ground there had got his uh, lightsabers in his hand as he was sort of bringing. I think I think that's a nice little touch. I have to be honest. Actually, a couple compliments right on the centre line there, it has to be said. Very good. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's very well, good. I'll let you into a little trade secret. We generally just ignore the marshal as if there's a line. We can put the aeroplane on the line pretty easily without the marshal. Actually, Neil Lamborn points out in the chat room, that's vertical video. Uh, it is vertical video, and I was hoping everybody was going to stay quiet so that uh, that I didn't get told off by Nev for doing it. But it was a very cool video, so it <laughs> so, was. There we go. So welcome to everyone who has joined us in the chat room. Lo- loads of chat room people mm. this evening, all the usual family members, and then some. So welcome everyone. Too many names to mention, otherwise we'll be here till midnight. But thanks to everyone who's joined us in the live YouTube chat room this evening. Great to see you all there. And uh, welcome. So, coming up first on this week's show, now we have got a very special 
little uh, poem, haven't we, Matt? Mm, we have, yeah, absolutely. This was uh, uh, something... Hang on a second, hang on. I've not been on the show for a, for a few weeks now. Uh, has it gone all quite sort of upper class and, and almost <laughs> cultural? Are you sure that you want me? Oh, we always poem, want you. say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we, it's, we're just trying to add a little bit of, you know, culture to the whole I sort mean, of thing. the only poem yeah. that I'm familiar with starts with, there was an old sergeant no, who okay. sat on we're, a we're rock. Gonna, we're going to go over that and move on. <laughs> Everybody cough loudly. Okay. Uh, right. Okay, well, I, I, I could do highbrow as well. I've listened okay. to Radio 4. Right, well done, absolutely. Mainly for the comedy hour, I'm guessing. Uh, anyway, so, <laughs> anyway, uh, Nina, who wrote a very lovely poem, which some of you may have actually seen, has been uh, doing the rounds online, uh, and our producer actually managed to get in touch with her and she's very kindly read the poem for us now if you are cabin crew or you work in the airline industry uh, this poem may well uh, really touch a chord uh, with many of you so uh, uh, well, we're going to start the show uh, with this it's not just a job Uniform on and ready to go. Goodbyes to family and your home. Finding a space in the car park. Running for the bus in the dark. Briefing room full of strangers. Discussing all potential dangers. Pulling suitcases and onto the plane. Trying to remember everyone's names. Halfway into the flight. Home life out of sight. Serving up drinks and staying up late, smiling through catering mistakes. Bunk room bugs, but later hugs from all your new friends by the time the flight ends. Out the plane and into the heat, stiff from sleeping in crew seats. Through an airport and onto a bus, favourite hotel always a plus. Room number swaps and drinks by the beach, flight home still well out of reach. Exploring places we've never been, photos of memories and cities we've seen. Going home, doing it all again. Night flights never seem to end, but galley chats and heart-to-hearts give you everything you need to start. Finding energy on a tired drive home. Missing your crew, feeling suddenly alone. Landing day and jet lag sinks in. Let wine and poor snack choices begin. It's not just a job, it's a lifestyle too. The medicals, emergencies, the caring we do. Nothing else like it or ever comes close. Please keep us doing what we love the most. And Nina very kindly sent a little dedication. She says, I've been working as cabin crew for an international airline for 20 years. It's been all I've ever known and I love it. I wrote this poem for my colleagues during a very weird time when we all feel a loss of control and grief for what our normal lives and the job we feel so passionate about. Dedicated to all the cabin crew around the world who are currently flying, can't or used to, who are hoping to get back to normal soon, but worrying they won't or what the new normal will be. So, Nina, thank you very much for taking the time for recording that. So that was a really lovely poem, was it not? Mm. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Very, very poignant and to the point. Yeah, absolutely. As I say, and uh, 
you know, there are many people that we know about who are, are going through some very rough times at the moment, not only in aviation, but either personally or whatever. It's some very strange times going on, isn't there? Um, I was just uh, thinking that, um, as, as she was saying, that um, uh, I was listening to that. Of course, so many people in the airline industry, whether they're cabin crew, uh, flight deck crew, dispatchers, whatever, you know, booking people, this is the only job they've ever done. They've yeah. only ever worked in the airline industry, probably, yeah. uh, in, in, in many cases. And therefore, you know, to have this situation put upon them um, is pretty horrific. I've got to it think. is. It is. It's, um, you know, and uh, really, as I say, uh, our personal thanks to Nina for going to so much trouble for us. It was a, a real pleasure to chat to her a few days ago, actually. And, um, yeah, thank you very much for that. So uh, we'll, we'll leave it there, Carlos. But uh, business is normal, I think, now. Yes, yes. So we've got uh, stacks of awesome stories to get through this week. So I think we should go on to some commercial news. So we're going to start off the show, then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from so around the world we start, and the UK. I knew you'd have to do that, Al. <laughs> OK, so obviously we're all a little bit emotional with Nina's poem yes. there. And uh, so just to cheer us up, can we just agree that we're not going to do the military? we'll see Uh, (laughs) modestly what are you like poor Armando put so much work in and uh, actually (laughs) next week I should just tell everyone that we are going to be doing a military special so um, yeah so if the worst comes to worst we can make up for it I I think I'm off that week are you yeah I'm I'm doing my hair (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right okay well it'll just be me and armando then we'll have a great time anyway screw the lot of you let's get yeah. on with the let's get on with the aviation news shall we <laughs> so kicking off this week's first news story this one is on the transport extra and that's extra with an x so the headline virgin atlantic to cut three thousand jobs and leave gatwick uh, airport here in the uk so virgin atlantic is to cut more than three thousand jobs in the uk reduce the size of its aircraft fleet and end its operation at gatwick airport virgin atlantic which is in the process of applying for emergency loans from the government said that it was inevitable that the jobs would be lost they said that we have weathered many storms since our first flight 36 years ago, but none of us, uh, none of it has been as devastating as the COVID-19 and that the associated loss of life and livelihood for so many, said Virgin Chief Executive Shai Weiss. Uh, Virgin Atlantic said that uh, it had begun a 45-day consultation period on the job losses with unions Balpa and Unite. Uh, Other airlines have been announcing major job cuts as well because of the collapse in demand for travel due to the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, BA said it was set to cut up to 12,000 jobs from its 42,000 strong workforce. And Ryanair has also said it will cut 3,000 jobs, which is about 15% of its workforce. The airline has flown from Gatwick Airport since 1984. Gatwick uh, Airport said that Virgin Atlantic will always be welcome at Gatwick and we will continue our efforts to explore ways to restart the airline's operations as soon as possible, in the knowledge that they intend to retain their slot portfolio at Gatwick for when the demand 
returns. Virgin Atlantic's announcement came after rival BA said that it could not rule out closing uh, its Gatwick operation as well. Uh, while Virgin is Gatwick's ninth largest airline, BA uh, is Gatwick's second biggest customer, so its withdrawal would have a far bigger impact on the airport. Gatwick said that they remain very optimistic about the long-term prospects of Gatwick Airport and our resilience as a business and having remained open throughout the pandemic, uh, they said that we are in a strong position to extend our current operations quickly to meet demand in the future with no guarantees as to when we will return to pre-crisis levels. Something I think, guys, we all can agree that that's going to be a long way off. Mm. I think it's going to be a while, isn't it? Um, mm. I mean, it's not all doom and gloom, though, to be fair, Carlos, because um, there, there is talk apparently um, from... Yes. So um, so this is from uh, Bloomberg, um, and uh, Wiz, Europe's uh, biggest uh, discounter, is keen to expand its UK business uh, beyond base at Luton, of, uh, north of London, uh, if it can get hold of operating slots. Uh, Chief Executive Officer Joseph Vardy said on Wednesday in a phone interview, he said it's likely to turn Gatwick, uh, turn to Gatwick, located south of the capital city, into its second British hub. Um, Vardy said that any expansion at Gatwick is contingent on being able to secure ownership of operating slots. He also wanted to avoid taking over capacity temporarily, only to hand it back later. Um, Wizz Air does currently operate into Gatwick, however, as has a much bigger presence at Luton, uh, where 10 of its aircraft are based and 25 others regularly fly in from mainland Europe. Uh, Vardy said he's also unsure that British Airways and Virgin Atlantic will actually surrender takeoff and landing positions, because as we all know, they are worth a few quid. Uh, Virgin CEO Shai Weiss said that on Tuesday that the intention is for Virgin to lease out the slots until the market revives and returns to Ga uh, Gatwick when it becomes viable. Uh, Wiz sought to establish itself as a force at Gatwick last year when it was uh, a contender for slots from failed Thomas Cook Group PLC. Uh, those were brought by EasyJet, uh, Gatwick's biggest operator, while positions vacated at Monarch Airlines in 2017 went to BA, uh, their owner IAG uh, SA, and after Wiz had a bid on those. So, yeah. It's um, those slots, as we all know, those slots and stuff at the airport. Um, obviously, Al, you probably know that they they are worth quite a few pounds in money. They are. Uh, the absence of BA and Virgin at Gatwick will be quite a considerable hole in the revenue for the airport. So whilst I suspect that BA and Virgin would like to just sit on those slots for the time being, I would imagine that the airport will be very keen for them to be utilised because unless there are people parking their cars in the car park, going through the terminals and buying stuff in the shops, the airport will struggle for revenue. So I'm interested to see how this plays out. Wizz Air very much want to establish Gatwick as their second hub, as Joe Varadi has said. Uh, Luton is already at capacity and... EasyJet, undoubtedly Wizz Air's big rival, have quite a huge footing at Gatwick already. So I'll be interested to see how... Oh, I wonder who's the ones to... Oh, it's an international call. I'll come back to you. Okay, right. <laughs> In the meantime, then... Wow. Uh... 
that's a, that's a, that's a loud ring. I'll tell you, you can hear that from Spain. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I didn't realise that the EasyJet did have quite such a big foothold at Gatwick, but obviously, yeah. Sorry true. about that. Um, yeah. Often the case that uh, the most inopportune time. Um, <laughs> no, it was just my dad. Worry not. Nothing exciting. Um, so yeah, EasyJet have a huge footing at uh, London Gatwick. Now, under the present circumstances, I'll be interested to see whether they want to expand their network at Gatwick. I would imagine that if this was just a BA issue or a just a Virgin issue, EasyJet would be straight in there, cash in hand, let me get those slots. But of course, we're talking very different times here. And not every airline in the world is sat on a huge pile of cash ready to spend. So it will be interesting to see what those slots, if they become available for purchase, go for. Because like everything else in the world, something is only worth what someone is prepared to pay for it. Uh, Prior to COVID-19, those slots would have been almost blank check affairs. But now circumstances are different. And as you've already said, the, the airlines have indicated, or certainly Virgin have indicated that they'd like to lease the slots. That's going to be a tricky one because are you as a business going to invest a lot of time and effort in developing routes only then for the leaseholder to say, oh, well, we fancy having them back now. So I'm not quite sure how that will pan out. But I know for certain that Wiz will be very keen to expand their UK network. They've already launched some new routes out of Luton uh, this week which kind of throws the gauntlet down to EasyJet because they're to Portugal and Greece as opposed to Eastern Europe. So I think it's very much going to be a battleground over the next 12 months or so. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, slightly, slightly, uh, uh, sort of slightly off topic, I guess, uh, Tony S has just uh, sort of said in the chat room here, is that, do you actually need a slot if the airport has spare capacity? It's a very good question. And... The way that slots work for a lot of airports is that because there is no spare capacity, that's why the slots are issued. It, it's a bit like a, um, a ballot arrangement in some ways. So I'm not quite sure that uh, Gatwick will be in a position to release up for anybody uh, takeoff and landing slots because the problem that they face is that if they just allow new carriers to come in without slots and then Virgin and BA say, right, we're ready to, to carry on now and we'll use our slots, they will be significantly over capacity. So who are you going to throw out? So you don't really want to alienate your customers that way. So I think and this will be the answer to a lot of questions at the moment. We're in uncharted waters, so I don't quite know how it's going to play out. No. No, that's true. Um, uh, the uh, John Jester has suggested in the chat room, actually, again, saying that, that uh, perhaps, given things are at the moment, you know, the value of those slots are probably crashing in value right now. I mean, or is that, or do you think that won't change? I think that that's very true. I mean, it's kind of what I alluded to, that something's only worth what someone is prepared to pay. Yeah. So, undoubtedly, the slots at Gatwick are not as valuable as the ones at Heathrow. However... We know that Heathrow at the moment, the third runway is some years off, shall we say. So there's not going to be any great expansion there. London remains one of the leading capitals of the world. And there are very few airlines that don't want to have a London presence. Uh, 
So I think there will be competition for the slots if they become available. I still stand by my statement. I'm not convinced that many airlines will want to lease them. No. Uh, unless it's for a guaranteed period of time. And I would yeah. imagine Virgin won't want that because no. what they're saying is, well, we're not going to use them until such time as things are better and then we want to use them. Well, yeah. It doesn't always work that way. Mm. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Really, sort of knowing what to do for the best, because at the same time, they, you know, as you say, the air, the airport itself needs the the revenue, because uh, as you say, yeah. they, they need the people going through the airport because they make their money through, you know, the the, the beer that's being sold and the, the duty free and all that kind of thing. So, I mean, it's um, it's it's well, nobody's got a crystal ball at the end of the day, have we? Nobody got no idea how this is going to play out, have we? Really? No. Historically, some of the slots um, at Gatwick were. <clears throat> kind of uh, attributed to wide-bodied long-haul flights only. And I think that dynamic is going to change as well. And it's, uh, it's linked in with something that Mike has put in the chat room. And that is that we're entering an era now where uh, narrow-body long-haul flying is very much a reality. So there is no reason with the 321neo that operators can't do London Gatwick to the eastern seaboard of the United States. Mm. And when you consider that the 321 Neo XLR can have 239 seats, and if you compare that to a three-class 767, 787, the figures aren't very different. No. No, that's true. As I say, Michael, is just just for clarity there, Michael was actually sort of saying with the A321neo, might Wizd decide to fly to the USA. Both Boston and JFK are certainly within its range. Um, yeah, I, I can't see why. Uh, interestingly, uh, uh, Neil Lamorne is saying in the chat room here that uh, it would be great to see expansion at, say, places like Birmingham. Airlines seem to forget the Midlands exist. Luton isn't far for us, but BHX, BHX sorry, would be much easier. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I guess it's it, it's about sort of trying to stay. You know, I mean, London, whether you like it or not, essentially, you know, is attractive, I suppose, to most people flying in and out. I guess. I don't know. But I mean, there has been expansion certainly at most of the the, the 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 more regional airports. But do you think it is just the location, perhaps, Al, as to why you know they aren't uh, choosing places like Birmingham and and that? I think the big. Uh, I mean, with respect to Wizzair, I believe Wizzair still do fly into Birmingham. But I think where Birmingham has fallen a little bit by the wayside is that it's always paid, played rather second fiddle to Manchester. Now, there's always been a big rivalry between Manchester and Birmingham with regards to being who is the second city in the UK, mm. depending on what criteria. But undoubtedly, Manchester Airport, with the two runways, uh, the three terminals, and Terminal 2 being completely revamped at the moment, mm. and it's intended to have uh, US immigration facilities in the new T2 at Manchester. Uh, It's a significantly bigger airport with regards to number of passengers, volume of freight. Mm. So I think that's where Birmingham has kind of ended up being in the shadow. Uh, No reason why Birmingham couldn't be expanded, but I just don't think at the moment there are insufficient slots at UK airports for the sort of operation historically that's been operated. Right. But, of course, as the dynamics change, 
So it may well be that airlines wish to operate from Birmingham to new destinations. Uh, it just depends. There, there are a lot of economical issues that come to play. So when we start to look very much at the UK, there are players in the market that don't often feature on the radar but prove to be very useful for airlines. So, for example, uh, Doncaster Sheffield. Yeah. It's, it's a well-connected airport. It's got a huge runway. There are no issues with slots because there's so much capacity there. There's no space issues. It's open 24 hours. Customs are there. Um, and to operate as an airline to and from Doncaster is very inexpensive compared to some of the other UK airports. Yeah, London airports and things, yeah. Uh, actually, mm. um, um, Micah is saying in the chat room here, interestingly, that JetBlue has announced that they will be starting uh, narrow-body service to the UK from Boston and JFK in 2021. They've not said what airport they'll be flying into yet, though, but I suspect it will probably be one of the London ones, won't it? May I just say something about that? Oh, um, do, yes, I'm do. delighted that... Airbus have got equipment now like the uh, XLRs and, and the Neos uh, that can do those sorts of distances uh, on two engines. But for me, narrow body across the pond for seven <laughs> hours, yeah. I'm, I'm not ready for it yet. I'm going to have to try it out on something <laughs> someday to yeah. see if I can, I can deal with that. But um, Well, yeah. the thing is, Nev, you need to experience that uh, uh, 319 out of London City, if indeed there is an opportunity to try it before that route gets Well, yeah, the difference, though, that, well, it's the, the 318, you mean. And Sorry, the, 318. But, yes. but that's 32 seats uh, in business class. <laughs> I, I think I could probably cope with right. that. Um, but, <laughs> but not 229 <laughs> on an XLR. <laughs> well, because the, 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 the 7.5, is that a... Uh, is that, uh... <laughs> What, what, We're not what, going on a seven five. No, no. But what category does that fit into? Because that seemed quite narrow. Uh, that is a single aisle. Yeah, uh, narrow, but yeah, yes. yeah, absolutely. Yes. And certainly, my experience of it. I don't know if I mentioned it at all. Whether I had a, I don't know if that ever came up in conversation. Uh, that I didn't enjoy it. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we really must move on. Because yes, uh, moving on. Yeah. Okay. To the next story, Matt. <laughs> this uh, this one for you, Ryanair, as always. Yeah. And uh, there's, uh, there's some battles going on. Uh, yes, absolutely. Simpleflying.com is the website. And the headline is Ryanair launches legal action against Swedish airline aid. Mm, on Friday last, we know how O'Leary likes to open a can of worms, doesn't he? So on Friday last week, Ryanair used, uh, asked EU judges to cancel the commission's approval of a Swedish 455 million euro loan guarantee for airlines. This move could potentially slow down Europe's government's efforts in providing relief to their struggling national carriers. Uh, last week, Michael O'Leary made good on his threats to take the EU to court over airline bailouts uh, on the 1st of May. Ryanair filed a case uh, with the European Union General Court claiming that Sweden had violated EU law on state aid. The issue was that it could only grant uh, it could only grant guarantees for funds to airlines that held a Swedish commercial aviation license on the 1st of January this year. This effectively shuts out all carriers flying to Sweden 
but with a base elsewhere. Uh, not surprisingly, this includes lo Irish low-cost carrier um, Ryanair. This is only the first in a long list of potential lawsuits targeting European government's airline relief efforts. Uh, the Ryanair CEO wants the conditions for the bailouts to be altered so that Ryanair could also get a share of the packages. The commissioner has, uh, sorry, the commissioner has said that it will defend its decisions in court. Uh, Simple Flying has reached out to Ryanair for comment but has yet to receive a reply at the time of publication. Uh, in a statement shared with Bloomberg, Ryanair said that the Sweden's um, programme discriminates against airlines based outside of the country, ignoring the role of such pan-European airlines in the connectivity of EU, EU countries that didn't issue their operating licence. Furthermore, the airline is criticising the European Commission itself for failing to do its duty as a supervisor of state subsidies and to investigate the programme properly. The Commission approved the Swedish state aid scheme for €455 million Euros of airline support on the 11th of April, €137 million Euros in revolving credit facilities specifically for struggling Scandinavian multi-flag carrier SAS uh, was endorsed on the 24th. The Swedish government owns nearly 14 0.82 of SAS and the Danish government 14.24%. Ryanair has expressed similar objections to French and Danish aid as it did with the Swedish program but is yet to take any further uh, take it any further uh, other than disapproving statements. Uh, perhaps the airline will launch further lawsuits before long or it could wait to see how this one will go. The Irish low-cost carrier uh, does not have the most successful histories when it goes to taking on EU regulations in court. Uh, in August last year, the EU ruled that Ryanair had uh, to return 8.5 million euros to France after marketing after a marketing agreement with Montpellier Airport was deemed illegal. Anyway, the story goes on. You get the you get the gist basically. But um, yes, I, I mean. <laughs> The one thing you can always rely on, Mr. O'Leary, is that if he says he's going to do something, he usually will do it. Um, and he'll do it on a, on a radio show or a TV show. Well, that's quite right. I, 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 you know, he'll choose his source wisely, no doubt, and, and have a bit of a rant. I mean, it's, uh, I, mean I don't know. It's, it's a weird one, this, because I, I understand why the industry uh, needs the bailouts and things. I mean, it's, not, you know, it, it's no different for, for many businesses here in the UK, isn't it, that are all struggling as a result of, of this awful thing that's going on at the moment moment but um yeah i suppose it's um i don't know d d does he just have to go to the irish government and ask them to help him i don't i, I you know it's it's a funny one what, what what do we think about this one people nev my personal sorry go on nev go ahead um does he object to the to air france by any chance because he probably needs to look back in his um uh, calendar for um things that have happened with air france in the past where i believe and i stand to be correct that they have gone to the french government for support um and also especially airlines like sas where they are i mean there's very very few services other than sas within scandinavia there's one or two others but what i was going to say was that you know those are essential services uh, not sort of optional ones that they they really are essential for doctors and nurses and, and, and this kind of thing so I, I think that um it's a little bit opportune of him and he's quite you know within his rights to do that but um yeah, I, I I just think the timing is a bit um, unfortunate if, for, for mm. my liking. It's all I can say. Mm. Al, what, 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 how, how do you feel about this? I think that one of the areas that 
I mean, if we take away from the fact that when O'Leary comes out with these statements, they are usually for publicity for the airline, regardless of what the subject matter is. You know, I always refer back to when he said he was considering charging to use the lavatory. He was never going to do that. He was never going to be allowed to do that. But it got him in every newspaper in the English-speaking world, so free advertising. <laughs> I think he has a point to some respect. And I've leveled this criticism at some of the U.S. carriers as well. Because when you look at most of the big U.S. carriers, they're massively loss-making. Mm. So why is the American taxpayer funding huge amounts just to keep loss-making businesses going? Now, Matt, you've run business. I know, Carlos, you run a business. So would we expect to run multi-million pound loss-making businesses and someone then to come in and go, oh, well, you know, I'll give you some taxpayers' money? So I think he has a point to a degree. Uh, but equally, we have experienced and are experiencing an exceptional event and we cannot afford for the whole fabric of society to just collapse around our very ears. Mm. So what I think should have happened, is, and it has happened in, in some cases, that where governments have had to step in to stop airlines from collapsing completely, it's not just been propping them up a bit, it's been, right, if we don't get this money, we're over. Then the countries that have contributed that taxpayers' money should have taken considerable shareholdings in the business. So in other words, if you want, you know, the country's money, then the country now owns the airline or a proportion of it. Yeah, so get shares exchange type sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So that the, the taxpayer holds equity in that airline. And then at such point when the airline is able to demonstrate that it's either turned around or that this was just a, an exceptional blip, then it can get its airline back into its own ownership by repaying the state. Just handing over millions and millions of pounds in the hope that these airline managers will look after it well. We all know what it's like. If someone gives you money, you don't spend it as wisely as your own, do you? Uh, no, that's true. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, no, it's a good uh, so point, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's right that aviation is supported. I would like to have seen it done in a better way, because what's the point of handing over loads of money to a failing business? Yeah, as, as, as I, I, again, as I say, it's a good point you're making there, really, because it's just like, <laughs> is there a situation where if this wasn't going on, these airlines could actually become more profitable, and therefore, by saving them, you are you're just helping, you know, the fab, you know, the fab, the status quo re remain as is. If if that makes, I mean, do you, I don't know. It's a funny one, isn't it? It, it, it is a difficult one. Um, and, you know, I'm very minded of the fact that the government did not step in to help Monarch Airlines. It did not step in to help Flybe. No. And it has not thus far stepped in to help Virgin Atlantic. The rights and wrongs of those decisions can be argued both sides. But what is important as a country is that the taxpayer gets value for money and how its money is spent. So I, I think that O'Leary has a point that some of these airlines uh, were hemorrhaging money before COVID-19. Mm. They're going to be hemorrhaging money now and will continue to do so until the pot runs dry. Yeah. So 
Yeah. I, it's not very often I, I, I agree with O'Leary and I don't entirely agree with him, but I think right. he, you know, he, he's not getting any, any funding, uh, any support. Uh, and does he need it? No, no, not candidly at this stage. Um, but I, that, that's my view anyway. And the sli- slightly odder, as I say, uh, there's some, some some notes that our producer has put in there about, about this case, obviously. And one of the things, I'm just going to try and sort of, excuse me, I'm just going to try and bring this up on my computer here. There's, uh, it, what's the, the thing is, is he, he, so SAS, the bailout here approved by the EC, uh, and where I've just got my mouse pointer here, he's only complaining about that one bailout, the 455 million euros in this particular court cases i i'd be interested to to work out why this one in particular has been singled out over all of the other um bailouts that are going on i mean you know it, sour grapes i don't know but yeah I, I mean is you know is sas more competition to uh to ryanair possibly no, i don't I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, who who would who do we all think would be Ryanair's nearest and biggest competitor? Well, you'd, you'd probably say, well, depending on what part of the uh, of Europe you were talking about, it would either be uh, Wizz Air or EasyJet, yeah. uh, wouldn't it? Really? Mm. Um, I'd have to go back through the, the the sort of history of documents to see whether at any point the Swedish government have prevented Ryanair from operating <laughs> internally in Sweden. That right. may be the axe to grind, and that's pure speculation on my yeah. point. Yeah, no, okay. That's, anyway, we should so, move on, shouldn't moving we? Moving on, yeah, yeah, to the next story. Nev, it's uh, it's sad news for a certain company that we had the pleasure of meeting at Dubai last year. Yes, we'd always talk about um, aircraft manufacturers, don't we? Airbus, Boeing, Embraer, um, and we all talk about the airlines having problems. But of course, we need to think about the power plant manufacturers um, because obviously they hang their equipment on the airframes themselves. And it's probably the, I would imagine, I've not actually done the maths, but it's probably uh, the second most expensive part um, of the aircraft itself mm. um, and this is from the BBC uh, website um, that's opposed to the bar when you're travelling on board Nev is that right? Right yes <laughs> then there's extra fuel needs to be carried when I'm on board let, let <laughs> oh, me tell you stop it. Um, but um, of course it says that Rolls-Royce could act up to 8,000 jobs after aircraft manufacturers were forced to cut production during the COVID-19 pandemic the aeroplane engine maker employs 52,000 people worldwide with 23,000 of its staff in the UK. And obviously it's got a very large um, uh, manufacturing plant uh, up in the East Midlands there. Uh, mm. According to a company source, senior leaders have warned cuts could be as high as 8,000, but efforts to mitigate the impact are ongoing. It had announced plans to save £750 million, but now needs to take further action. Rolls-Royce is expected to tell staff the actual number of job losses by the end of May. The impact has forced aircraft manufacturers to cut production. In fact, uh, Airbus has cut its production by a third and has furloughed 3,200 staff. And Boeing last week said it planned to reduce its global workforce by 10% or 16,000 jobs. The Financial Times first reported that the potential job losses uh, and said that the restructuring plan would shrink the workforce by up to 15%. 
Derby Council leader Chris Poulter said it was worrying after Rolls-Royce confirmed some of the 15,000 staff at its two sites in the city could be affected. As well as Derby, the firm has operations in six other locations. It also has a presence in the US, Germany, India, Singapore and Japan. And in other related news, GE will cut up to a quarter of its aviation business staff as demand for air travel plunges due to the coronavirus pandemic. The firm had already announced a 10% cut to its US aviation workforce, but it said more is required. The potential 13,000 job cuts at GE Aviation, which makes jet engines for companies such as Boeing and Airbus and employs about 52,000 people in 19 countries worldwide, comes shortly after the unit revealed profits had fallen roughly 40% in the three months to March. They are part of a wider $3 billion uh, cost-saving effort as the industry warns of an 80% drop in global air travel this quarter. I'm going to read that again, an 80% drop in global air travel. Uh, the, uh, as this pandemic continues to advance, our understanding of its impact on our industry and our business has also involved. GA, uh, GE Aviation President David Joyce said in a message to staff, unfortunately, more is required as we scale the business to the realities of the commercial market. Now, if you just take all that on board for a second and then just go back and think about all the problems that Rolls-Royce had with the Trent 1000 engine as well, which would have cost an awful lot of money in compensation and goodness knows what else. So this is before all of this started. So it's just horrific um, from the commercial point of view for uh, all of the power plant manufacturers. It is. It's it's that and that figure, Nev, isn't it? That 80% drop. Is, yeah, if you've if you've not got the aircraft being built, you've you've not got the yeah. need for the engines, and yeah, you've not got that also that backup as well. Because don't forget, with all the aircraft that are flying, you've obviously got the well, when they are flying, mm. you've obviously got the backup that Rolls Royce provide, which is not needed now because no. the aircraft aren't flying. Yeah, I mean, this is another a- big factor for Rolls will be that a lot of airlines have arrangement with the engine manufacturers where they pay per flying hour for those engines. So if the aircraft are mothballed, they're not paying to fly them, and therefore Rolls aren't getting any money. No, no, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, you y- you hope that this is just a temporary situation, don't you? But uh, as I say, as we said earlier, because there's no there's no crystal ball here. We don't know how long this is. You know, so for, for for any business, it's impossible at the moment to make decisions, isn't it? Because you don't know really. Uh, I mean, I, you know, here in the UK, for example, Boris is making. Uh, an announcement on Sunday, but it, from what you know, with what you've read, I think the announcement is more or less going to be um, very minor alterations. But essentially, we're staying like this until June. Um, mm. You know, it's impossible for businesses to make decisions like that, isn't it? It's tough times. Mm. It's tough times, and obviously, it says in here in the chat room. I think Tony S said in the chat room that um, he really feels for Rolls Royce as they've had a a rough few years, which they have. They have yeah. had a really rough few years. You know, forget what's going on now. You know, they have had a really rough few years. So it's, um, you know, it's going to hit them really bad. The other thing I was just thinking about as well is the um, when you've got such huge uh, numbers of employees 
at an employer. So in the in the good old days, you know, Ford at Dagenham, for example, and in this case, Rolls-Royce in Derby, um, you've got whole families that work there. You know, you've got dad and his son and maybe his brother, you know, and, and it goes right through the family. So when you start making people redundant or furloughing them, it has a, you know, a huge effect, not just on the individual, but as part of their extended family as well. Yeah, very much so. Uh, there's there's an awful lot of um, sort of interesting comments actually here in the chat room, isn't there? I mean, there's been great conversation. Laura, Laura Davis is saying it'd be interesting to see uh, uh, in the US where the prevailing party is anti-governmental involvement to pr- propose that the government then take a stake in companies. It's lots of, um, you know, it's... Uh, Lots of interesting sort of comments, really, about that sort of thing. I mean, again, uh, uh, Micah is suggesting that this whole worldwide crisis may be a good time for many companies that have been feeling the sort of the hit of mismanagement or finances, Boeing, Rolls Royce, etc., to completely reorganise financially. Perhaps bankruptcy would not be a bad mm. thing. Uh, I mean, that's a quite a dramatic um, way of uh, restructuring, I guess. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's always been a, a small bone of contention for me that uh, businesses, say, for example, in the United States, can be effectively badly run, end up owing huge amounts of money, mm. go into Chapter 11 protection with respect to airlines, and almost at the, the signing of a pen, just carry on as if nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. That is true. So, moving on to uh, the next story for you, Captain Alan. We haven't had a good fight for ages on the show, <laughs> so um, I think we uh, we should sort of move on to the next story. Absolutely. Who doesn't enjoy a good punch-up? Well, I certainly <laughs> don't, either on a physical or a professional level. <laughs> but this story comes from uh, Simple Flying, and the headline is Bloodshed in Flight Over Noise on Board Spirit Airlines Flight. So... Here's the story. A Spirit Airlines flight from Los Angeles to Detroit last Thursday was forced to make an emergency landing. No, it was forced to make a normal landing, just (laughs) under the circumstances, but anyway, never mind, Uh, following a brawl in the cabin. It appears that the passengers involved were keen to get some sleep and that their request for peace and quiet didn't go down so well. Flight NK709 landed safely, although some passengers were reportedly injured in the altercation. Red-eye flights, those flights that take place in the hours of darkness, are usually not fun. Sleeping on a plane is hard enough as it is for most of us. Uh, Seats, economy at least, are always just beyond the reach of comfort. Constant engine noise, well, that's a good thing in my book, but there you go. (laughs) And the occasional bump all conspire to keep us awake. Wouldn't want the engine noise to stop if I was at 37. Well, no, quite. (laughs) Add noisy road neighbours and any plans for some shut-eye are soon out of the window. So it's natural you would ask your fellow travellers to keep it down. That did not turn out so well for one man on board Spirit Airlines flight NK709 on Thursday last week. What began as an argument between him and other passengers over the noise level turned right into outright assault. According to the New York Post, the man was beaten bloodily and pilots were forced to make an emergency landing. (laughs) The plane was on its way from Los Angeles, California to Detroit, Michigan, when it took a detour via Des Moines, Iowa, 
as reported by Click on Detroit. A woman who was on the flight was not impressed by the stance of the flight attendants during the flight. She thought they could have done more to break it up. The airline told us that the flight attendants did step in, but they had to back off when the situation became too dangerous. Maybe the lady should have intervened if she felt that she could do better. Anyway, the pilots <laughs> decided to make an emergency landing and landed at Des Moines Airport at 3.14 local time. The woman also said she saw the two culprits changed out of their bloodied clothing when the plane had landed and before law enforcement arrived. She says they went and changed their clothes before the marshals came. They hurried up and ran to the bathroom because they had blood all over their clothes and they did not want to be recognised. <laughs> uh, the airlines take. Yes. <laughs> As with any passenger-led report, it's always worthwhile taking their version of events with a small pinch of salt. Oh. <laughs> Simply Flying reached out to Spirit Airlines for their take on the situation, who told us. We're aware of a physical altercation on board Flight 709 from L.A. to Detroit that caused a diversion to Des Moines. Taking care of our guests and team members has always been our absolute priority. Spirit Airlines does not tolerate any type of physical altercation on board our aircraft, and appropriate action will be taken. We thank the law enforcement officers for their assistance on arrival. The plane finally landed at 7.23 local time. There is no information about what happened to the people involved post-disembarking. So there you go, a bit of a punch-up. <laughs> uh, indeed, a little bit of a punch-up. Actually, it's, uh, j just for sort of full clarity, apparently P Police Sergeant Paul Parazek said, one of the passengers was escorted off the plane. We did not arrest anyone. Pretty unique situation. It was determined that the incident took place over Nebraska, um, so DMPD has no jurisdiction. At the crew's request, we escorted one passenger off the plane, and it continued on to Detroit. He was free to go. It appears he was the victim of the assault, but initiated the dispute on the flight uh, it started because he wanted to sleep and he protested other people including a flight attendant for talking too loudly spirit said in a statement uh, to the new york post that it does not tolerate any type of physical altercation on board our aircraft and appropriate action will be taken we thank the law enforcement officers uh, uh, for their assistance upon arrival isn't that nice <laughs> have, have you in your in your prestigious career al ever had to uh, eject someone from the aircraft obviously not at flight level but you know for this kind yes, of yes unfortunately it happens from time to time people get a little bit too excitable and decide that they're going to have a fight or you know set fire to something or someone so uh i've not had the latter but i've certainly had fights on board so yeah i'm afraid uh, you have to take the necessary action uh, i've diverted uh, in the past as a result of a fight on board and i've generally found that the law officers are very enthusiastic in dealing with the perpetrators <laughs> of such events <laughs> I mean, just 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 a, just a sort of slightly random question here really i mean so what's involved in the process so you've presumably you received the communication from cabin crew that there's something going on that basically can't be dealt with now while i mean presumably you don't leave the flight deck to assist do you? you have to leave the crew to it yeah usually these things uh escalate over a period of time it's very unusual that you will just simply have a fight so there's an escalation period the cabin crew are all trained 
in uh, de-escalation techniques and they tend to be very good at that mm. and usually they can be resolved at that level. Uh, most airlines have a protocol for behavior on board so initially there will be a verbal warning that is issued by the cabin crew on behalf of the captain right and it simply says that if their behavior doesn't change then they will face prosecution uh, that they may well uh, find that the flight is diverted and this is all read out to them um, as a official warning if the situation then continues to escalate uh, usually the cabin crew will indicate what their preference is. Mm. So it may well be that they still want the police involved on arrival, but the, the situation is now calm and they're right. happy for you to carry on. Yep. As I say, I've had occasion in the past where it has not de-escalated and we've diverted. Uh, and yes, you're absolutely right. The flight crew will stay on their side of the door. Mm. Uh, now, if you've got a full-scale fight on your hands in the cabin... And you've got, you know, four, five, six, you know, eight stone wet through young ladies trying to work back there. It's, it's very, very difficult for, uh, say, for example, me as the captain, not to want to go back there. But, of course, you've got to look at the safety of all of the other yeah. passengers. Yeah, so absolutely. getting involved in a fight as a captain in flight is not a great idea. No. No, so really. don't do that. So, 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 so what's the so obviously so okay you're in a, you, and you say you've been in that situation once. The decision is that that uh, you need to divert. Uh, so, so what do you as the captain then have to do? Presumably, you've got to. I mean, where do you go to get the information about where's your nearest airport and and, and things like that? Uh, and then presumably so, you have to con contact the tower and, and get approval and things like that. So. Uh, with regards to where you divert to, that's entirely the captain's decision. And as a captain, you always are mindful of where you're going to divert to if you have a problem. Now, you don't necessarily know what the problem is going to be, uh, but you're always mindful of where you're going to go. Mm. And in the events that you have to divert because of uh, unrest in the cabin, then you'll advise air traffic control. And there is a coded framework to indicate what level of unrest you have in the cabin, uh, which I won't elaborate on. And ATC will uh, then notify the authorities. It would be exceptionally unlikely that the airport would not accept you under those circumstances. Right. Because you will almost certainly be declaring a pan, which is a state of urgency. So it would be uh, very, very unusual that the airport would not accept you. Mm -hmm. Depending on the level of unrest, uh, certain countries might dictate that you're going to divert to a given airport where there are better skilled staff to deal with the incident when you're on the ground. Mm. So in the event of, say, a four-scale riot, you might be directed in the UK or over UK airspace to go to Stansted right. um, because uh, we have very skilled operatives in that particular area that could deal with that sort of event. Typically, you don't have full-scale riots. You have minor skirmishes, but mm -hmm. you need them to be dealt with. So yeah. you'll uh, declare a pan, you'll divert, and when you land... Basically, 
it gets a little bit complicated because if you're in flight, the laws that apply on board the aircraft are the state of registration of the aircraft. So if you're on a UK-registered aircraft, a G-registered aircraft flying over France, uh, then UK law applies. However, most countries have an arrangement whereby if as the commander of the aeroplane, you state that individual X, Y, and Z have endangered the aircraft and or its occupants, they will then deal with it as a national crime. Wow. So it gets very, very complicated and legal because if you then have them prosecuted on the soil that they landed, they may well get off lightly, and you would have preferred for them to be prosecuted in the country of registration, i.e. the UK, where they may be dealt with more harshly. I did have an altercation on board a flight many years ago, which required us to land in Turkey. And the Turkish authorities were very uh, effective. Uh, they dealt with the individual. They had him removed from the aeroplane quite physically. And I was later advised by the airline's legal department that he was uh, tried the following morning oh, and sentenced to 10 years in prison. Wow. Wow, that's, that is efficient. And this is the thing, I don't really understand, you know, bearing in mind, that's really why I'm asking these questions, because it's like, what I, don't, I still don't get my head round. Yeah, we all get into to bad moods, and actually, interestingly, Neil Lanmorn has some great ideas. Uh, why don't you get yourself some noise-cancelling headphones if noise is an issue? Uh, and then maybe, you know, choose a, a good podcast to listen to, which I think is great advice for life in general, it has to be said. But uh, it, It's normally the, the, the dreaded drink, of course, isn't it? Yes. And, uh, uh, drink on the ground is different to drink at 8,000 feet yeah. cabin altitude. In fact, you know, so you need, you don't need as much drink to have the same effect. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, it, and maybe they've already, you know, had a few in the bar uh, before they've left. So th this is normally something to do with these sorts of incidents, isn't it? Yeah. A uh, lot, lot of uh, love for the word de-escalation there, by the way, uh, Al, uh, Dave Abbey really likes that. Uh, Neil Lamwater has suggested that a de-escalation by taser might uh, be an interesting way <laughs> there's a, there's of a lot dealing of love with it. tasers in the chat room. There I will is absolutely. Say. Yes, like I say we need to have a, we need to have a chat with Owen. I think about that one. This one worries me. Is it, I like the idea of having a taser on board. I'm not. I'm not sure that's uh, uh, you know a particularly good idea. <laughs> uh, Korean airlines have tasers on board for dealing with passenger unrest. Right. Yes, okay. and they've actually used it on board from what I understand. Uh, in my experienced uh, uh, experienced cabin crew mm. are very good at being able to talk down a situation. Yeah. Now, if you don't mind me saying, Matt, you used to uh, run a pub in the UK, didn't did. you? Yes, yes, several, in fact, over the years, but yes. <laughs> and and therefore, you'll be familiar with how you can turn very quickly by just how you convey yeah, things. Absolutely. Something that's turning a little yeah. nasty. You can just calm it without having to get the police involved if you just apply the right strategy, yeah. can't you? Well, and, and certainly in my case, I have to confess that my size is usually very effective at uh, people immediately calming down because if I go I, and I've never once gone like what I call proper steaming in but you just have to walk in there and usually all you have to do is step in between them that's enough 
um, for them to just sort of behave. Because again, a lot of the thing. That's why I was really I was saying about like the captain and stuff. Because it's one of those when you suddenly get that. All right, in my case, just a landlord. But you know, I, I'm I have no doubt that a captain suddenly appearing in front of you would have that same effect you know and also because i don't think uh, i mean because we do this show i'm very familiar about the fact that there is seniority uh, on board when it comes to cabin crew but of course your average joe blogs um ca- uh, passenger may not be aware that there is actually a hierarchy amongst crew um so unfortunately you, so you might have the most senior cabin crew member come up to talk to you but they won't know you any differently to the person that was serving you drinks a minute ago no, that, that's very true. And also uh, something that comes into play, not necessarily with regards to this spirit flight, but cultural differences. So, for example, if you were to watch uh, two Italians or two Romanians have a heated discussion that was never going to uh, escalate into fisticuffs, but as a British person, you're watching these two people have this discussion and you think if this was in the UK, these two are going to be, you know, smacking seven bells out of each other in the minute. But it's just their emotive style of, of communicating, you know, arms going everywhere and mm. shouting louder and louder. And, you know, when I've asked uh, cabin crew in the past, you know, what, what's actually going on? So, well, they're just discussing things. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Do you want me to organise the police? Oh, no, 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 no. No, no. It's fine. It's just normal. Don't worry no, about indeed. it. Interestingly, I say, uh, Auntie Liz is just saying in the chat room here, here, she says, I recall Captain Nick saying his height, and he always wore his hat, was very helpful if he had to go back and deal with a rowdy passenger. Uh, and as, as she then says, it's like intimidation factor, I guess, is the is the is the major thing here i mean it's uh... it can go two ways though because yeah. you can have a situation um and this is what the airlines are desperate to avoid where say for example all the cabin crew are female and you've got two blokes who are getting quite heated but they have a degree of decorum and they're not going to lash out at a female and if you as a captain go in there with your big hats go storming in True. and you know throwing your weight around that just might be the straw that breaks the camel back. And uh, next thing, you're involved in, in the altercation as well. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's, a, it's a fine line. And generally, the, the advice to, to captains, to pilots, is not to get involved. Not least because we're not used to dealing with the public in that way, so we're more likely to make things worse. Mm-hmm. We're not trained in the de-escalation techniques. And also, we don't have the same restraint training as the cabin crew do. True. So most airlines, cabin crew will be re- trained in restraint. Dealing with and there will be equipment on board to deal with uh, restraint. Yeah. So if I say speak for Monarch Airlines, uh, the restraint kit that we had on board was the same that they use in uh, mental institutions. Nice. So it's very effective at disabling someone very quickly. Wow. I'm not talking taser here. I'm talking about actually physically restraining. Yeah. Um, so um, probably the easiest way to uh, describe it is a combination of cable ties and Velcro. Right. <laughs> but if you can get, you know, a big piece of Velcro around someone, it's fairly easy to do. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, if you're just wrapped up, you, you yeah. can't you, you do can't very much out, there. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, we need to move on. Uh, as, well, I, no doubt we will come back to this story. Thanks, Al. It's, uh, as I say, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, we're, we're familiar with these stories, but I've never sort of really sort of, I suppose when you start thinking about the processes involved, it, it's actually quite scary, isn't it? The, that, uh, the impact somebody just having had one too many drinks at the bar before they got on board. Um, but there we are. Uh, Carlos. Yes. The next story. So uh, this one uh, may you may have seen on the various social media platforms this week, and it comes with a video, which I have to say um, looks like it's been filmed on a Nokia 3210. Oh, stop it. But uh, <laughs> this is on flightglobal.com, and the headline, Qatar, Qatar, or whoever you want to pronounce it, Qatar 787. Uh, drifts into an A350 after being spun by the Doha Gale. So Qatar Airways uh, states that a Boeing 787-8 and an Airbus A350-900 belonging to the carrier suffered only minor damage. Hmm, not about that, I've seen the pictures. Uh, after the 787 was spun by strong winds and drifted into contact with the adjacent parked A350. Surveillance video, which you can see playing, indicates the stationary 787 initial weathercock some 90 degrees to the left as a result of strong winds on the vertical fin before moving forwards, apparently against the wind and making perpendicular contact with the A350's Ooh, that's right That's a great word, that is, isn't it? Well, I say, what a treat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Doha was uh, affected by thunderstorms during the afternoon of the 30th of April, with winds gusting up to nearly 40 knots from the southeast, according to METAR data from Hamad International Airport. Uh, Qatar Airways claims the wind speed reached 70 knots, and as a result, the 787 was briefly shifted from its chocks, briefly, I'd say more than that, before the contact with the A350. It adds that the 787 had been parked securely and chocked in accordance with guidelines from the aircraft maintenance manual. No one was on board the jets, and owing to the weather conditions, operations at Hamad International Airport had been suspended temporarily at the time. Images circulating on social media indicate the 787-8 involved is uh, Alpha 7 Bravo Charlie Tango. The identity of the A350 is unconfirmed. So, obviously, Matt, you played a video there during uh, that uh, talk there, and obviously there's a picture of the damage to uh, to the nose cone on there, and it's safe to say that it is... It's a fair amount of damage, to be fair, really. The 787 was just jealous of the A350's better looks, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that would be what it is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, that's some serious wind there, though, isn't it, to be able to do that? Yeah, winds gusting uh, 19 knots to 61 knots, according to the ATIS information uh, that we've got uh, here on our show notes. Yeah, it's, uh, as I say, there we are. there's the actual contact look. There you go. Doof. Wow. It's fair to say I don't think a lot of that will buff out. Uh, <laughs> no, the replace, the replacement is fairly minor, actually. Um, that, that's just the, the radome. That will just be a straight replacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was trying to have a, a better look. And for what it's worth, I don't think the 350 is uh, particularly badly damaged either. I think they've been quite fortunate in where the, the two have hit. And it would have been a reasonably gentle hit. Um, as in, in, it would have just been a sustained pressure on the the radome of the seven eight seven. So that's been like the uh, what do they call it on cars? The crumple zone. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that is true. Uh, but it's, it's obviously with all the obviously the aircraft had parking brakes on. It was chocked. Um, that must have been one heck of a wind. Well, yes, um, and the direction of the wind as well, just to, to move that aircraft round as well, because it's it's not a light aircraft either. No, no. Mind you, they no, are no, but very effective wings. Yes, so just like say. a glider, if the wind is strong enough, it will lift it off the ground. And in the right There's... place, absolutely. They suddenly become very light in those situations. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, we're going to move on to the next story. Then. Yeah, this is good on... news for you, Matt. Next, I think, oh, isn't it? Oh, so, well, yes, for... absolutely. Well, it, well. Uh, Pleasing news, I suppose. Uh, flight Global. Mm. We, we were talking about Farnborough, weren't we, last um, uh, last week about uh, you know their attempt to try and be more green. Uh, in this case, uh, we're talking about Biggin Hill, and they're they're basically just trying to make sure they survive. And uh, Flight Global is the source. And the headline: Transla- Transatlantic traffic keeps Biggin Hill's head above water. Uh, wealthy passengers on private jets might not spring to mind when we think of essential travel during coronavirus lockdown. However, at one of London's busiest business air Ports. Um, the um, uh, Biggin Hill International uh, flights continue to land and take off daily, although traffic is down uh, 70% year on year. After a flat March, April traffic was 30% of what it was in 2019, says Commercial Director Robert Walters. However, transatlantic business is still relatively strong. We've seen a number of repatriation flights as well as day trips for people who own businesses in London. For example, these are classified as essential travel. Uh, under the, the UK's COVID-19 restrictions in place since the 23rd of March, overseas passengers uh, arriving at the UK airports do do not have to uh, do not have a temperature or medical check or go into quarantine as in several other countries however immigration officers have the power to determine whether journeys count as essential travel and can ban entry uh, once social restrictions begin to be relaxed walters believes there is a, a unique opportunity for business aviation to capture premium passengers that might previously have chosen airlines there is no better way to socially distance than using a business jet rather than an airliner he says in addition people will be forced to consider business aviation just to get from a to b as airlines cut back on route availability we also offer an, an airport environment with a very low density of people our business is not predi- uh, predicted uh sorry is not uh I mean, oh yeah predicted on passenger throughput sorry walter claims that Biggin Hill has been the only UK business airport that has stayed fully open and operational throughout the crisis. He says that the operation is further shielded from drop in traffic by the business model that relies more on property income. More than a dozen major tenants, including Bombardier, uh, which has its European hub there, uh, Leon, uh, is it Leonardo, uh, Textron and Pilatus, are based at the South East London Airport. Meanwhile, Harrods Aviation has reopened its fixed-based operations at London, Luton and Stansted airports on the 4th of May after a five-week closure. The company says that while initially operational hours and staff numbers will be limited for safety reasons, it expects to get closer to normal operating times uh, by the summer months. So, I mean, that, that's a little bit of good news, isn't it? And I suppose that kind of makes sense because, you know, there are still people here who do need to come to London to do business. So, I mean, it's, it's great. I, I don't know how, I don't, I don't know if it's ever really going to be, you know, it's probably going to be out of the reach of most businesses who need to get to, to London though, isn't it really? Because presumably mm. the, these flights are not cheap to, to, to book, are they? Yeah, I don't think the, the I don't think the whole business um, flight sector has been hit 
I mean, obviously it's been hit, but it's not been hit as bad as the um, the commercial uh, side of things. Do you say, Al? I think there's been a relatively small reduction in travel in that field, uh, and I think it will recover quicker as well. What about? Yeah. I mean, Neil, how, how do you feel about? The, what 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 is your thought? Because obviously, I mean, you you were doing a lot of flying before all this, um, and you know, and we've spoken before how you think the model will change. But I mean, presumably, this is this is very much out of the reach uh, for people like yourself doing the sort of business that you need to do. Yeah, I'm not really able to buy a business class ticket, let alone a, a private <laughs> Your jet. Your own plane, yeah, um, absolutely. But, well, it's a, it's a different world, isn't it? You know, that the aircraft that operate, uh, operate out of uh, Farnborough, North Holton, Biggin Hill, around the London area at least, uh, I mean, you know, these, these are not normal situations. Um, no. I think, and because obviously the social distancing side of things is much easier, <clears throat> on a private jet and also boarding the aircraft um, is very different True. from rocking up at Luton with, you know, 5,000 other people or whatever it is. So, uh, mm. yeah, I, well, we, I think, as Al said, the, the business sector will have been affected, but by nowhere near, <clears throat> excuse me, as much as, as the, uh, the no. regular commercial sector. No, that's true. That is true. So moving on to uh, to you next, uh, Nev, and uh, it's uh, we always love an accidental discharge um, story oh, on the show. <laughs> Why do we have to have this story when Al's on the show? That's <laughs> Because Has this been well, it wasn't premature, was it? No, no, oh, of course no. Not. <laughs> oh, no. Because you know, no. to be honest with you, Nev, if I didn't do this, you know, you know how I like to fly by the seat of my pants. Most most shows, yes. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not expecting to get. Uh, to the end of this story without interruption from okay, Al. So well, let's, uh, just put it right. Let's sit back, everyone, and enjoy the show, shall we? <laughs> On the simpleflying.com website, it says, uh, fire suppression system malfunctions in British Airways 777 hangar. A fire suppression system failed in a BA hangar at Heathrow Airport earlier today. Uh, and video footage shows that the hangar floor covered uh, in a sea of fire retardant foam. The incident occurred whilst a British Airways 777-200ER was parked in the hangar. Uh, the footage, which was posted on Aeronews, shows foam spraying from at least three outlets. Uh, one outlet was directing foam over the parked aircraft wheels. Uh, the 777-200ER in the hangar was Golf Yankee... Um, Actually, I just I've stopped there because I've actually flown on this aircraft. I think no. I flew on that aircraft to um, oh Washington, probably. Uh, yes, that was a Golf Yankee Mike Mike Bravo. Uh, footage shows a hangar mostly empty of people, and it does not appear that there were any injuries. Um, and it says that uh, the size of Heathrow and the amount of activity there presents some unique fire pre prevention challenges. Uh, there is a huge amount of change at Heathrow on a daily basis, Gary Moore said, uh, Chief Fire Officer uh, Heathrow said. Uh, Heathrow's in-house firefighting service is responsible for all aviation and non-aviation fire-related safety planning and responses inside the airport's precincts. Uh, it does this within the framework set out by the CAA guidelines 
and the National Firefighter Operational uh, Standards. At Heathrow, uh, as Heathrow has grown and become busier than ever, the airport has continued to invest in fire safety and firefighting equipment. That includes hardware such as vehicles, alarms, PPE equipment and automated systems like fire suppression systems. We're always collaborating with manufacturers of appliance technology and equipment in order to maintain a rapid response to incidents, said Mr. Moosehead. Uh, Heathrow has a long reputation of uh, as a source of false alarms and call-outs. Today's incident has a minimal impact on no one other than British Airways, but when automated fire systems go rogue in the wrong places, it can have a significant impact on a lot of people. In July 2017, massive disruptions occurred when a false fire alarm caused Terminal 3 to be evacuated. Passengers already on planes waiting to be pushed back were taken off and escorted out of the terminal. Dozens of planes were delayed and some misinformation saw some passengers told it was a bomb scare. Uh, but the London Fire Brigade thinks that for all the false alarms, automated alarms and fire suppression systems uh, are, pi- are powerful early warning tools and have the potential to save lives. Uh, the problem for British Airways is that today's instance may be an expensive malfunction for this aircraft, uh, albeit it's still flying, but on a, sim- a slim-down schedule. Uh, the aircraft came in from New York, uh, Kennedy, on Thursday and has been parked at Heathrow ever since. The plane now may need to hang around Heathrow for a while longer. I uh, think uh, actually, twice. interestingly enough, um, uh, our producer just put in the show notes here that the aircraft has since flown to India, outbound on Wednesday the 5th of May, and inbound on the 6th. So it's already back oh. in the air, which is impressive. Uh, be- before Al before gives his pen a thing, just oh. two things, right? Oh, one, one, in that, one of those shots, that uh, video, that show there's a van parked yes. just towards the back of the rear of the aircraft. That van had foam up to its top of its wheel arch. Yeah, look, That's go. how I, I, deep that was. And also, just, just on a kind of clear-up kind of side of things, I'm guessing that because of what that stuff's made up from and what it's got in it, this is not something that, that can just be flushed down the drains into the um, local kind of, you know, local way. Definitely not. No, it's it is uh, not very environmentally friendly stuff. Mm. I don't think. No, very no. effective at what what it's required to do. Um, but yeah, uh, yes. Yeah, Al, over to you. <laughs> well, I've heard allegedly from inside sources that this may not have been an accidental discharge and that it may have been done by a disgruntled BA engineer with regards to everything that's going on with regards to redundancies. That's, uh, that's an alleged uh, story, but uh, nonetheless a possibility. With regards to uh, the nature of the foam, ooh, it's, it's highly corrosive, and I think BA have done quite well to get that aircraft in service pretty quick, uh, although it didn't really cover much of the undercarriage. If it gets up into the... Uh, brake assembly areas, uh, then it could have needed a whole new undercarriage. And uh, what else was I going to say? Uh, yeah, that stuff stinks. It is relatively oh, it? biodegradable. Uh, it takes a lot of washing away. Um, and depending on what manufacturer of foam that is, and obviously I don't know, uh, some of the products that you could find in it would be uh, bovine blood or bovine hoof. Yeah, 
that okay. kind of tells you all you need to know. I tell you, tell you what, though, on these fire suppression systems, I was once in a uh, video control room uh, many years ago, and they had these Halon uh, fire suppression systems, which basically um, floods the place with uh, whatever gas it is, uh, Halon gas, and it literally takes all the oxygen out of the room. And you, you have got about five to six seconds to exit the room before you are incapacitated. No, no two ways about it. So uh, wow. that did happen on, on one occasion. And I'm glad I was standing near the door, I have to say, when it went off, because it Goodness. is absolutely frightening when that happens in a confined space. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Yes, the, again, the, it, the control room at the Moving Picture Company had hail on fire uh, suppressant. And, uh, yeah, you didn't want to be in there, that was for sure. Cause, uh, it, and actually, hail on is a product that most – air crews will be familiar with because an awful lot of onboard fire extinguishers are halon even though it is now banned and has been banned for some time uh, because it's extremely good at dealing with fires yeah interestingly enough uh, uh, as i say not a hundred percent a rough guesstimate slash figure that we've been we've been given here um by our producer is that depending on the manufacturer of of said phone the disposal could be anything between 200 and 400 euros per square meter that's 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 wow scary that's expensive <laughs> yes that's not that's not a cheap clean up you know <laughs> oh, no. apparently a lot of carriers are moving to halon free fire extinguishers perhaps that's because it's slightly better for the environment perhaps anyway. it is because it's impossible to get halon now um, ah, I see. because uh because it's been banned as a product for Oh, blimey, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years, aviation was pretty much the own industry that was using Halon. So, yes, there are now alternatives, but they're not as good. No. A damn cloth. No. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, you know, and nothing insulates like asbestos, but, of course, that's frowned upon now. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on to, uh, to an Airbus story for you, Al, because uh, we all know you love a good Airbus story. Absolutely. This is, uh, where's this from? Um, oh, it's from uh, Flight Global. And uh, it's the A380 finally lands freighter roll with Lufthansa Technic modification. German maintenance specialist Lufthansa Technic is working on a conversion for an Airbus A380 as part of its effort to offer temporary passenger to cargo modification services. LT has not identified the customer, though there aren't that many 380 operators, so it shouldn't take too much working out, <laughs> but states that it has been awarded the technical and engineering task to support the operational change for the double-deck type. While the modification is intended to comply with temporary passenger to freight regulatory exemptions drawn up to meet the demand during the coronavirus, the company indicates that it will offer the conversion as a permanent solution The current exemption and our solution for it can be transferred to our supplementary type certificate at a later point in time without major adjustments, says the Aircraft Modification Base Maintenance Senior Director, Henning Jochem. Anyone who opts for the LT exceptional solution can now easily switch to a permanent solution later. LT is working on similar certification for a number of common aircraft types, to enable modification into auxiliary flaters. Jotman says the change involves much more than just taking out the seats because of the different load and safety considerations 
involved in placing freight in the passenger cabin. I'd imagine, it, imagine it's a bit of a chore taking all the boxes up the stairs in the 380, to be honest. Airbus has been offering a service to support airlines seeking to indicate such conversions on aircraft including the 350 and the 330, and has been prepared to consider requests for a 380 reconfiguration. The airframer's conversion involves removal of passenger seats and fitting of freight pallets on seat racks, sorry, tracks. Lufthansa Technics work marks the emergence of A380s for freighter work some 13 years after a dedicated A380 freighter program was effectively halted by withdrawal of customer interest. So there you go, uh, 380s having a, an extended role as temporary freighters. And I think we've all seen pictures of various aircraft being used as as uh, temporary freighters. Mm-hmm. Uh, some photos uh, causing me a bit more concern than others, but most of them being done <laughs> properly. Yeah, just a little bit of background, actually, a small bit of background on the A380F. Uh, Airbus has offered the A380F alongside the passenger variant and initially attracted orders from FedEx and UPS as well as the lesser uh, ILFC and Middle Eastern carrier Emirates, which operates freighters uh, through its Sky Cargo division. The airframer had started cutting metal for wings and producing components for the A380F back in 2005, but interest in the aircraft, which had taken 27 orders across four customers, began to decline sharply the following year. Emirates, which became the largest operator by far of the A380s, cancelled its order for freighters, followed uh, at the end of 2006 by ILFC, uh, which uh, switched to passenger aircraft and FedEx, which defected to the Boeing 777F variant. Uh, the uh, UPS subsequently dropped out in 2007, uh, putting the A380F development program on hold. UPS eventually opted instead for the 747-8F, Clearly, a decade after cancelling its, uh, nearly a decade sorry, after cancelling its A380F, uh, while Airbus has held uh, out for a secondary market to emerge for A380 passenger to freighter conversions. Last year's cancellation of the program and the parking of several A380s in response to the coronavirus crisis has left the future of the type very uncertain. There you go. Okay. There may be there may be some life in the old in the old uh, well I say old in the well in I, the relatively I, new dogs yet. I mean I know we keep saying we keep saying that you know like fuel prices are cheap so it's like you know you're amazed that things like the seven four sevens and the MD eighty eights and things are all being taken out of service. But of course in reality mm. if we do go back to normal in some way, of course we we won't see the fuel price at an all time low, will we? I suppose so. You you've still got to look to the more efficient aircrafts and stuff and sometimes it may be cheaper to buy a newer aircraft than have one with four engines yeah and also there are other factors um you know which would you prefer to have you know a coal that is cheap fired you know central heating system or a gas that's more expensive fired central heating system Mm. those those old aircraft require huge amounts of maintenance costs compared to their modern replacements so even though they're burning huge amounts of fuel, which is relatively cheap at the moment. Mm. Uh, their maintenance costs are significantly higher. Yeah. So it's, um, yeah. It, so, I mean, it, will converting it temporarily, temporarily make it more financially viable, though, do you think? I think what we have at the moment is a global peak in freight demand, don't we? So, you know, if there is any way of shipping freight around the world, 
Now, there can't be many countries in the world that aren't either shipping or receiving uh, PPE-type stuff, gowns, masks, gloves. Now, all of these items, relatively speaking, are quite voluminous but not particularly heavy. So, you know, a couple of million uh, surgical masks take up a lot of space, but then they're not uh, as heavy as, you know, carrying sacks of spuds. So... What we have is uh, a huge amount of uh, freight demand, and there isn't the amount of freighter capacity. So these temporary conversions, uh, because as I alluded to, getting freight up onto the top deck of a 380, uh, you know, there isn't a big hole up there that you can start shoving pallets (laughs) into. Uh, Obviously, there are doors and exits, but nonetheless... Uh, you're having to manhandle the boxes, if you like. Again, not a big mm. problem because they're light. So it, it's a short-term solution to a short-term problem. Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, Owen's asking in the chat room there, will, will, will it be structurally all that easy to convert? The biggest problem is the fact that all of that freight needs to be secured wherever it is. So take all the seats out. That's fine. Uh, you've got lovely amount of space then to put all the boxes, but how are you going to stop all those boxes moving around? So you've got to find some means of securing them. Okay, you can net them, but what are you going to tie the nets to? True. Yeah. If you uh, if you imagine tying cargo down onto a lorry, you'd use ratchet straps. Okay, well you do the same on an aeroplane, but where are you going to attach those ratchet Ratchets. straps to? True. So these aircraft weren't designed to be uh, quick conversion aircraft. They were passenger aircraft. Mm. So a lot of thought has to go into securing this freight. And also, it's all well and good to say, okay, well, yeah, these boxes are quite light. We'll just chuck them on. We'll tie them down somewhere or other. Um, but it all has to be accounted for. Mm. And you have to think about things like floor loading. And the other one that comes into play is fire suppression. Yeah. Mm. Because if you've got a load of cardboard boxes, Mm. uh, you've got a much bigger fire risk than you might have previously had with passengers and lots of cabin crew. True, true, because obviously with lots of cabin crew, I mean, yeah, with lots of cabin crew, obviously they they would know what to do in the event of an emergency. Uh, Neil Lanwarn has the answer for us all. He invites investors to restore the super super guppy back into flight. I think that is a solution, (laughs) certainly. Uh, (laughs) It's always a... uh, John Jester is actually saying that, you know, it's a temporary solution, yes. Uh, It is removing the seats and setting up nets to hold the cargo. If it goes permanent, no, that will require a lot of changes to include fire retardant walls and stuff as as you sort of hinted towards there um al so uh yeah it's uh it's an interesting one isn't it it's uh i i, I for one personally am i'm so surprised given the fact that the 7-4 is so popular as a as an aircraft freighter, you know, freighter. Yeah. So, yeah absolutely i'm 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 so surprised that the a380 never got you know the a380f if you like never got uh Never got legs. But anyway, we need to move on. And the next story yeah. is with me. Uh, Airline Geeks is the website. And the headline is African Express Airways Embraer 120 crashes in Somalia. So a Kenyan registered aircraft belonging to African Express Airways with registration 5 Yankee Alpha X-Ray Oscar 
uh, crashed as it was approaching the Bardal airstrip in Somalia on uh, at around 4pm on Monday just gone. The aircraft was reportedly carrying six passengers on board, uh, including two Kenyan pilots, a trainee pilot, a flight engineer and two other airline employees. Both the Kenya Civil Aviation Authority and its Somalian counterpart confirmed the incident. Uh, details of what really transpired are still patchy, but reports suggest that the aircraft was brought down by an unidentified moving object as it was three minutes away from landing. Wow. Uh, it is also reported, uh, reportedly believed the aircraft flying at 2,294 feet before being brought down was operating as a cargo flight transporting medical supplies uh, uh, into Somalia, the, the Somalia to uh, fight the coronavirus crisis. The uh, aircraft was manufactured by Embraer with serial number 259 and left the production line on the 27th uh, of July 1983. It was powered um, by twin-engine Pratt & Whitney PW118, uh, according to a statement by the Somalian government. The aircraft had been operating in Somalia since the 2nd of March. It hadn't been there that long then. Uh, but both the Somalian and the Kenyan governments have launched an investigation into the crash. Uh, African Express Airways is the largest privately owned airline in East Africa and was established in 1986. It has its main hub in Nairobi uh, uh, and flies 13 destinations with Dubai International Airport as a focus city. Its fleet consists of McDonnell Douglas DC-9s, uh, 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 Canadair CRJ 200s and Embraer 120s. Yeah, yeah so, so using the old DC 9 30s. Interesting. As I say, I'd be interested to get some more information about this because this, this, you know, this foreign object, if you like, um, be interested to see what that turns out to be. Yeah, there's there's a there's a good report on the Aviation Herald, Simon's awesome site that we all. All look at and goes into quite some more info on well, a slight bit more info on that, but they, they haven't really nailed it down yet as to exactly who or if it was, you know, something being fired at the aircraft. But yeah, I guess we need to wait for more information when it comes to that, don't we? Um, but in this, it's, it's very sad in, in, indeed that this happens, yeah, and, you know, with what's going on. Yeah, got a couple of pictures actually. Uh, I'll just bring this one up because we are a bit short on time. But uh, yeah, say so there's a picture of the actual crash site. Um, so it's always so sad when they're so close to uh, to you know. I mean, two thousand feet basically is not far away from being on the ground, is it? Really, is that plus the fact that it was it's flying aid as well? So it's not like it was you know. It no, was, it was doing it was providing a a needed service. It's very yes. sad. I, I suppose the only Have good... all the shows recently been as cheery as this. Absolutely, every yes. single one of them. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what you mean. Uh... <laughs> Yes, uh, good point, Al. On that note, we'll move on. Move we'll uh, on to the next story. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, we'll move on to the next story. Good point. Yeah. Cheerily. Yeah. Um, no, this uh, this story um, is actually a very, very new story. That's uh, uh, on here, story number 10, this is. And uh, this one is on the cbsnews.com. And uh, those of you who follow news feeds will have seen uh, this come out uh, in the last few days. This is Southwest Airlines jet uh, hits and kills person as it lands at Austin Airport. So it says here on the CBS News site, so it says a Southwest Airlines jetliner hit and killed someone as it landed at Austin's main airport on Thursday night, authorities have said. 
The Federal uh, Aviation Administration, or the FAA, said the pilot of Flight 1392 reported seeing a person on the runway shortly after the 737 touchdown at Austin Bergstrom International Airport at 8.12 p.m. local time. The carrier said the pilot manoeuvred to try and avoid the person whose identity uh, wasn't immediately released. The driver of an airport operations vehicle uh, subsequently reported finding the person on the runway and Austin Travis County Emergency Medical Services said its personnel pronounced the person an adult dead at the scene. The aircraft taxied to the gate and everyone got off and no one on board the aircraft was hurt. Southwest uh, said um, in a statement, the plane was carrying 53 passengers and five crew members report CBS News correspondent Chris Van Cleve. Uh, the aircraft had taken off from Dallas Love Field. Uh, CBS News obtained a photo, which Matt, uh, I think you've, you've put the photo yes, up, Matt, yeah, of the, um, the cowling damage uh, that shows damage to the left engine cowling, including a sizable dent on the cowling's leading edge, and that the cowling is outside housing of the engine, as we all know. The runway where it happened was closed as authorities investigate, but a second runway was kept open so the airport could keep operating. Austin police told the station that the dead person wasn't dressed as an airport worker and didn't have any identification. And the FAA obviously uh, are assisting Austin police in the investigation of the incident. So, um, so I do, I do actually have a little bit sad of, news. yeah, it is sad news. I do have some ATC, um, uh, of the incident here, actually. Um, he says, there we go. No, I can't get it to play for some reason. No, that so, is it on so, the VAS sim, yeah. um, the page VAS sim, isn't it? On there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good evening, Taco 1392, approaching Jedi for the iOS 178. here i mean it's uh, there's, there's many questions obviously with this you know it's certainly from from the description you were saying there of course it doesn't appear to have been someone who was working for the mm. airport so you know there, there's obviously a lot more information that needs to come out uh, it, it, about this this internet but it's such a tragic i mean it's i don't know i mean this is i mean I, i'd if I was the pilot, I know, I know, for example, um, people who do, uh, you know, these, these incidents are all too common, um, uh, when, um, uh, it happens on trains, doesn't it? I mean, you, you get people who jump in front of a train and the, the, the drivers will often get six months off, uh, to sort of either receive the appropriate counseling and things to, to get over it. Um, it's, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know quite uh, what the uh, how they sort of get a get a get you know. Uh, do do you have 
I don't know. It's it's such an awful story, isn't it? I mean, not only the person that's been hurt, obviously, but that impact that you know the impact for the other people. Um, you know, the people. Yeah, especially flying. if you. If, I think it was. I think it was dark when this aircraft landed because right. it was uh, coming up to quarter past eight in yeah. the evening. So I think it was. It was quite dark, but um, obviously the lights on the the, the landing lights on the aircraft are fairly. Um, yeah. Fairly bright. So, to so the, the, FAA to is, the FAA has released a statement that says the Federal Aviation Administration is investigating a pedestrian fatality on a runway at Austin, uh, Austin Bergstrom uh, International Airport in Austin, Texas. According to preliminary information, the pilot of the Southwest Airlines Flight 1392 reported seeing a person on runway 17 right shortly after the Boeing 737 touched down at 8.12 p.m. Central Time on Thursday. Um, uh, it's, um, yeah, it's just... It's just awful, isn't it? Uh, Southwest are a very good airline, and I hope, and I'm pretty certain that they probably will already have in place, but I hope that they will give the right level of care to the Mm. crew of that flight because it will be quite a post-traumatic event for them. Very much. I mean, it'll haunt them forever, won't it? There's no two ways about that. Uh, I mean, I know in the UK rail industry, the... The train operating companies are very good at looking after drivers who've had to deal with uh, suicides that have happened in front of them. And I would imagine that that's pretty horrific, actually, to see something that you know you cannot avoid. Uh, but uh, equally, these, these guys will be uh, pretty shook up. It's not yeah. a nice thing to happen. Uh, Tony, Unfortunately, not a regular occurrence. Yeah, well, and again, uh, on, on that note, Tony S. is saying in the chat room here, it really does raise concern concerning questions about the airport security if somebody was able to get on there. I, I mean, if it is shown that obviously they weren't an airport worker that was that was there, it's not, it's, it's not good. Anyway... Um, now, yeah, now you've, uh, you've got the next story. Yeah, it's um, on the uh, simpleflying.com website. And, of course, we're people trying to uh, uh, deal with the COVID-19 situation. People are having to try and look at new and innovative ways of, of using their airport space. Well, um, the uh, because all the flights are grounded, uh, Lithuania's largest international airport in Vilnius has been converted into a drive-in cinema. Uh, Lithuanians welcome this entertainment with around 150 cars showing up for the first movie screening. Screenings at the airport will continue into May. Uh, the airside apron of Vilnius Airport has been turned into a drive-in cinema for the first time in its history. The Aero Cinema, The Journey Begins project will run until the end of May. With a nationwide quarantine and movie theatres closed... Uh, the organiser of the Vilnius Film Festival saw this downtime as an opportunity to screen films out in the open. Social distancing, the best way to avoid the spread of the uh, coronavirus, is being well observed. And what better place than an airport apron for the open-air cinema? Uh, at the Vilnius airport tarmac, vehicles were parked at least two metres apart, with a maximum of two people per vehicle. Uh, occupants of the cars present were under strict instructions to keep their windows shut, and staying at all times. Despite these restrictions, moviegoers were delighted to be there. For most, it was a chance to go out after staying at home for so long. Uh, the first movie screened this past Wednesday on the 29th of April was the Oscar-winning South Korean film 
parasite. Uh, with no net passenger revenue expected for most of the airlines in the coming months, the outdoor cinema project is a sign of support to both uh, the aviation and movie industries, both going through difficult times as a result of the restrictions caused by the pandemic. This is uh, a fantastic story great idea and i see that it's being copied at manchester airport oh has it and uh, yes and they're saying that uh, 59 pounds 95 pence is a very reasonable price for two hours of parking <laughs> oh great <laughs> right, i'd be more concerned about me ice cream frankly uh, well quite absolutely i mean there is uh, yeah uh, one of the, one of the things that that uh, our producer picked up on though was uh, this particular you, you can tell he's a massive av geek here can't you look there we are he's never mind staring at the screen the picture the picture that jumps out him is a lovely dhl parked just behind look <laughs> it's one of your favorite aircrafts as well it will gloss over that move on uh, <laughs> i mean it's a great story and um uh, well done vilnius for for doing this uh you know giving back something to to the community helping the film festival uh it's just such a shame that as i've alluded to it couldn't work in the uk because of the mercenary car parking fees in just about every uk airport mm. uh, is that an airport you've flown into uh Al? yes i've been to vilnius it's lovely up there yeah mm. uh nick codling great comment in the chat room here i hope they were showing top gun uh <laughs> <laughs> good point <laughs> there we go uh, all right, uh, on to the last story then. It's a good news story, Hooray. Al. <laughs> it is, and it comes from the show sponsor, simpleflying.com. Right. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Although, to be fair, and I will give give you credit, the, the, the Simple Flying uh, website is, is very good, and they have a, a lot of good stories. So this is uh, a story... Baby born on Nigerian repatriation flight operated by Emirates. An Emirates Boeing 777, or 777, was forced to divert back to Dubai where it originated. The flight repatriating Nigerians to Lagos was caught up in a medical emergency when a passenger gave birth on board the flight. Now and again, a baby is born on a flight, although it remains a relatively rare occurrence. We last reported on an in-flight birth in February, only a couple of months ago then, when a baby was born on a Qatar Airways uh, Boeing 777 flight. Now another baby has been born on a Boeing 777 flight. Boeing will do anything to get fans, it would seem. <laughs> uh, the uh, flight took place on a repatriation flight to Lagos, flight EK783. Before the current situation, Flight 783 was a daily Emirates flight from Dubai to Lagos. Uh, the trip last operated regularly on the 22nd of March over a month ago. However, today the flight was due to run off as a one-off. The purpose? To repatriate Nigerian citizens to Lagos. The flight initially departed from Dubai at 10.55 local time this morning. However, it was back on the ground just 33 minutes later at 11.28. Shortly after takeoff, one of the passengers on board the flight went into labour. The Nigerian publication Vanguard states that she gave birth to a boy and that it is now being cared for in a Dubai hospital. Ah. Isn't that nice? What a story! That's a that's some bolts of it though. So, uh, so that child uh, will have uh, Emirati citizenship. 
It begs the question, Al, have, uh, in your career, have you had a baby born on one of your flights? Ah, uh, that's, um, that's a difficult question to answer. Uh, yes, I have. Unfortunately, it was stillborn. Wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Look, we were trying to end on a cheery note there. Look <laughs> what you did, Carlos. You see what you did? <laughs> I cannot lie. I cannot lie. But no, uh, yes, no, of course. Uh, not not every birth is a is a happy time. Yeah. Uh, actually, interestingly, Tony S is saying it's like you know it's cool. It must be cool to land with more passengers than you took off with. Uh, True. <laughs> Trust me, the paperwork is monumental for I, events such as I, this. I, I can imagine. We, uh, or at least in the UK, there are three forms. I know you, you rush for time, but I'll just spin it out so that the military goes. You're just for trying a walk. to bump the military, aren't you? <laughs> uh, so we have three forms on board the aircraft. Uh, a death on board, a birth on board, and can anyone guess what the third form is for? Oh, death, birth. Um... Uh, con- conceiving? Uh, no, that would probably be filled out far <laughs> too often, wouldn't it? Oh, really? No, it's a missing person on board. Oh, really? Yeah. Missing person on Okay, explain that to me. So, yeah, basically, um, it- it's a form designed for the very scenario that you know, a passenger reports that, you know, their travelling companion is just simply missing. Where they've gone, who wow. knows? But we have a form for it. My goodness. Yes, you should get sucked into an engine. Well, I, I, I don't get... Uh, wow, OK. I, I, I didn't even think that. You know, it's, every day is a school day, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's a jelly baby, it would be eaten. Anyway, moving on. We're going to hand things over. You notice the deathly silence there, everyone. It was, you know, I could hear tumbleweed. Literally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was just so, a concern as to what, what narcotics are being used in the Carlos household. Quite, yes. Okay, mainly beer, I think. To be fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So we're going to we're going to hand the show over to Nev to introduce the next part of the show. If you've been watching for the last few weeks, you'll have seen uh, we've been doing some highlights packages of some previous PTUK events uh, at air shows and all sorts of things that we've done. And the reason we're doing this is because we're not going to any air shows at the moment. So we thought we'd put together some packages for you. I'll be doing some more editing over the next few weeks so that you'll be, uh, have plenty to watch. Anyway, have a look at this latest one. If you want to take your knowledge to the next level, sign up for a subscription at the A320 Lounge. Our online video courses combine whiteboard-style lessons with full failure demonstrations shot in 4K in state-of-the-art simulators using a professional production team. Go into your next simulator session with confidence, having seen failures run in real time and with the background knowledge to answer any questions from your instructor. To get more information and to sign up, visit a320lounge.com. That's a nice new advert from the A320 guys. Yeah, mm. it is, isn't it? Yes, Absolutely. they've done a nice job with that. And uh, they've got their online courses. I've had a go at a couple, actually, as Have well. You? How did you do? <laughs> well, let, let's say it's sort of seven out of ten, I, I think. Okay, well, uh, but uh, they're really good, actually. And uh, they're really well optimized for, uh, you know, the mobile phone platforms. And uh, so, yeah, both uh, Andy and Matt have done a superb job of putting those together. And yeah, can so- we just say a big thanks, Nev, to the highlights package? Well done. Oh, yeah, that was absolutely, absolutely. fantastic. Oh, Met seeding, some really seeding. good memories. Oh, 
Oh, seething. So many memories from seething and, mm. and the after party, of which there are recordings of, but uh, none that can ever be TX'd, as Nev would no, no. No. No, yeah, there, no, there, no. There's a folder in our uh, you know, Google Drive which says, not for transmission, like and ever. that is yeah. certainly in there. Yes. <laughs> not without speaking to my lawyer first. Well, anyway. quite, <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yes. Uh, some very fond memories of, of, uh, of uh, uh, times, uh, well sadly in the past at the moment but hopefully as i say when when we get back in the air we we have already decided there's going to be some massive meet up we don't know where or or what or when i think well, well, ho- hopefully, hopefully fingers sh- crossed it'll be it'll be yeah. blooming malta at the end of this year yeah. in september yeah well fingers good, good luck think good oh. luck with that one uh, yeah. uh anyway we need to do some military otherwise uh, we're going to run out of time so uh, if uh, everybody is ready uh let's do this just before we... No, I'm only joking. I'll, I'll, just, I'll just play the stinger anyway. It's fine. <laughs> nice to try. So this first story on the diplomat.com. So uh, the headline is China's stealth bomber due to make an appearance soon. So the... Zayn, Zayn, X-I-I-N, never know how you pronounce that one. Zayn, H-20 has people talking again. I don't know, I'd imagine. Uh, yeah. Uh, so is the H-20 stealth bomber set to make its first public appearance in November? Reports from several outlets indicate yes, and the timeline of the bomber's development would seem to make the appearance plausible. The H-20 is a large subsonic stealth bomber, similar in form and appearance to the B-2 Spirit, as well as the the projected Russian PAC-DA and the B-21 Raider. It will reportedly have an advanced electronic suite similar to that expected on the Raider and a combat radius that would put the US bases in Hawaii and Australia at risk. Specifics of range and payload and speed remain unknown, but would probably not vary significantly from those of other aircraft in its class. The H-20 will be the first dedicated strategic bomber developed solely by China. Previously, the PLAAF and the PLAN relied uh, to the AN H-6 bomber itself, a derivative of the triple of uh, H-6, or the uh, 16. The H-6 has over uh, the years been tasked with the same missions as most other strategic bombers, including recon, conventional strike, nuclear strike, and naval interdiction. Uh, given the lifespans of modern bombers' reliance on old design, it's hardly unusual the U.S. continues to fly B-52s, while Russia flies the Tu-95s, both of which were designed around the same time as the H-6. Indeed, most analysts <laughs> accept the H-6, expect the H-6 to remain in service even after the H-2 become operational. The expectation uh, that the bomber will contribute to naval operations has increased worldwide, though generally air forces have allocated the mission to older conventional-shaped bombers rather than the new stealth aircraft. The H-20, using both long- and short-range weapons, could contribute to China's anti-access system of systems by extending its range, lethality, and penetration capabilities, putting U.S. staging areas such as Pearl Harbor at risk of strike, Uh, which would complicate the U.S. operations and force planning across the Pacific. So the first appearance of the H-20 does not imply that it will enter service anytime soon. The first public flight of the B-2 came eight years 
before initial service, and the J-20 stealth fighter had its first flight six years before entering regular service. Moreover, the introduction of the H-20 is obviously not a or obviously a response to any uh, particular U.S. action. It's still given that the increase in political tensions between China and the U.S. states, including the very public demonstration fight uh, of two B-1Bs near Taiwan earlier this week, uh, it makes sense for the PLAAF to make obviously its own contribution to China's long-range strategic defence. And there wasn't any pictures with this uh, story. Do we, we have any pictures with no, that story, Matt? No, we didn't. No, no, it's a shame we didn't have any pictures with that story. But interesting to see what it looks like. No, they're they're no, it's, it's that stealthy. It's that stealthy. Yeah, it's it's a bit secretive. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. So, yeah. mind you, saying that to be fair, Jonathan Warner's probably got a picture of it now. Oh, I dare say, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll contact him. Perhaps we'll have one by the end of the show. Uh, <laughs> so moving on, probably not because Jonathan probably saw I was on it, so he thought, well, there's going to be no chance. No chance. chance military. Military. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, story number two, Captain Al. Oh, is it me, is it? Yeah, sorry about that. I, I, I naturally didn't bother expecting to see... Uh, oh, ye, uh, yes, an, I've got it. Elon Musk. <laughs> yes. Bless him. So, okay, so I've got it. I do apologise. Uh, so this comes from uh, Popular Mechanics website, and it's Elon Musk and Grimes named their baby X. A E A dash one two. Now you might have struggled with how to pronounce the Chinese stealth bomber. Does anybody know how they're actually pronouncing this kid's name? Malcolm. <laughs> Dave. What? Bob. Yeah, anyway, here's the plane behind the name. Elon Musk and his musician girlfriend Grimes have named their baby, as I've just said. Grimes broke down the baby's uh, unconventional name on Twitter, explaining the A12 portion is a tribute to the Lockheed A12, a precursor to the SR-71 Blackbird, a phenomenal aeroplane. The couple's favourite aircraft. Honestly, we can't be sure that they're not screwing with us. Okay, well, that's their comment. I'm not quite sure. By now, you've probably seen the bizarre, seemingly nonsensical string of characters appear all over your social feeds. It looks more like a jumbled security code than a moniker you'd bestow upon your harmless human child. But alas, it seems sure that like Tesla and SpaceX, mastermind Elon Musk and his musician girlfriend Grimes really did name their newborn baby X-A-E-A-1-2. <laughs> no word yet on the middle name, but for the kid's sake, let's hope it's something simple like Tom. Or Malcolm or Dave or something like that. I mean, it's, it's a lovely story, but it's, a, it's, an odd, it's an odd name, is it not? I, I, don't, know to, I, I don't know quite, uh, quite what to do with that information. Uh, apparently, there. Uh, uh, well, apparently, uh, uh, some research has been done behind the scenes here. Our producer is saying apparently they're going to call, it, they're going to refer to it as Kyle. Interesting. So <laughs> that's not so bad, but you know, it's it's going to be tarred with this brush. This poor child. I mean, okay, it's not exactly going to have an impoverished child. Uh, no, though, I, is think, it? I think it'll be all right. Uh, yes. But when I uh, went off to the registry office to register my son's birth nearly ten years ago. 
the registrar there was very pleased that we were using some conventional names <laughs> because the last person who'd been in prior to me had registered their son, and I kid you not, Glory, Glory, Manchester United. Oh, please be kidding. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, you can't make this up, can you, really? It's, that's horrendous. Okay, good. Uh, uh, Micah is obviously is always full of useful information. He's saying the L12 was designed to be an interceptor. The SR-71 was originally supposed to be the RS-71 until President Johnson mispronounced it, so the Air Force changed it, uh, which I suspect is what's going to happen with this name. Hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, I think we need to move on uh, because we're running out of time. So, uh, Nev, I think you've got the next story. Yeah, this is on the defenseconnect.com.au, and it says that uh, American defense and aviation giant Lidos announced on the 4th of May that the company had teamed up with Paramount Group US and Vertex Aerospace to deliver the Bronco 2 a new purpose-built multi-mission aircraft. The aircraft will provide support to the armed Overwatch prototype program run by U.S. Special Operations Command, SOCOM. According to Lidos, the strategic relationship will combine decades of experience integrating, manufacturing, and delivering cutting-edge airborne solutions to the warfighter. Lidos has a long history as a premier uh, provider of airborne solutions, says Jerry Fassan. No, uh, Lidos Defence Group president. Uh, the Bronco 2 demonstrates our commitment to providing the, in, the best of breed in technology, as well as our agility in meeting the needs of our country's national security missions. This offering will leverage each company's expertise to deliver cost-effective innovations for the warfighter. The company also stated that the model will be built to serve the specific needs of US SOCOM. Uh, manufacturing will be carried out in Crestview, Florida. Uh, our, co our collaboration with Vertex and Lidos will uh, present best of capabilities for what will undoubtedly be a critical program to enable U.S. Air Force Special Operations Command to deal effectively with the challenges and rigors of modern-day asymmetric warfare, uh, says Steve Grissel, uh, CEO of Paramount Group US. The Bronco 2 was designed specifically for asymmetrical warfare and will operate at a fraction of the procurement and life cycle costs of an aircraft with similar missions, uh, uh, applications and capabilities. So, good for them. <laughs> we saw a Bronco, didn't we, Nev, at Big and Hill? We did, yes. But, but, and, uh, and if you look at this one, it is, you can see the similarities between yeah, them. Yeah, definitely. Very yeah. much so, yep. Mm. Indeed. It's quite... So, oh. moving on to uh, the next story in, or the last story, actually. Yep. And uh, this one is on the warbirdsnews.com. And uh, red and white and blue Spitfire Royal Air Force Museum VE Day 75th celebration. Some great pictures with this story. Uh, as part of the celebrations for the 75th anniversary of VE Day, albeit somewhat muted given the current pandemic, the Royal Air Force Museum has illuminated Spitfire Mark 1 Kilo 9942 in red, white and blue at their RAF Cosford campus. Uh, this Spitfire, the oldest surviving example of its breed, first flew from Supermarine's plant in Eastleigh on April the 21st, 1939. Three days later, she joined Number 72 Squadron at RAF Church Fenton. 
The legendary James Nicholson was one of her regular pilots during K9942's uh, time with 72 Squadron. Uh, Nicholson became the only Royal Air Force fight, uh, Fighter Command pilot to receive the Victoria Cross, Britain's highest military honour. He earned his honour on August the 16th, 1940, during the height of the Battle of Britain. With his Spitfire ablaze and badly wounded by cannon shell splinters, Nicholson uh, elected to return to his burning cockpit after having made preparations to bail out with an enemy fighter presenting itself uh, before his guns. He fired at the BF-109 until he shot it down, and only then did he exit the Spitfire by now suffering burns to his hands, legs and face. As he descended on his parachute, he endured further indignity when members of the Home Guard fired upon him with their rifles, uh, thinking him as an enemy paratrooper. Thankfully, Nicholson avoided further injury and recovered from his wounds sufficient by late 1942 uh, for return to flying duties. Uh, he flew the bow fighter uh, over Burma, uh, adding a distinguished flying cross to his awards, but his luck eventually ran out, and sadly, Nicholson lost his life in a flying accident on May the 2nd, 1945. The Royal Air Force 355 Squadron Liberator, which he had been flying in as an observer, caught fire and crashed over the Bay of Bengal. K9942 uh, flew numerous combat sorties, racking up over 40 hours on operations, including combat over Dunkirk during the evacuation. A wheels-up forced landing at Gravesend on June the 5th, 1940, ended her frontline career. Following repairs, K9942 returned to service in training squadrons. And at the end of her flying career in the mid-1944, the aircraft had nearly 1,100 hours flying time. Uh, quite a feat considering that most fighters never came even close to that number. Interestingly, the Royal Air Force allocated uh, K9942 for museum storage in August 1944, recognising the aircraft's significant history. She has served in various ceremonial roles over the eight decades since that time and is presented on display at Royal Air Force Museum Cosford in Shropshire, wearing her 72 Squadron colours. The Royal Air Force Museum announced that they were joining forces with the National Army Museum and the National Museum of the Royal Navy to host their first tri-service celebration with a virtual VE Day 75 festival taking place online uh, from the 7th to the 9th of May 2020, uh, bringing to life the stories of those who've helped to deliver victory in Europe. And it's safe to say, pictures really don't do it justice. I would um, very I love, much like to see this. I love, uh, the, I love these pictures with the red, white and blue. I absolutely love that. I think mm. they've done a lovely job of lighting that up. As I, said, I mean, I remember sort of when we had... Um, uh, VE day, not that well, it must be 25 years ago now, wasn't it? That's that's depressing, isn't it? Um, because uh, I was living in a little village called Denton back then, and we had big like street parties, and we were all on the playing field, mm. and we had a big, big um, like you know, proper tea party in the village hall, and and games and all that kind of thing. It, you know, it, it, it's it's uh, sadly such a uh, stark contrast to to what obviously we're we're having to do at the moment because of um you know what's going on. So. Uh, but uh, I mean, Absolute Radio uh, here in the UK, they released a, a 40s radio station, which I had on pretty much all day, which was just great for that was good. They're you know, just sitting out in the garden, sort of having, you know, everything from Little Brown Jug to sort of, you know, all sorts.
sorts of big band stuff. It was just, it was great. I, I you know, it's, uh, and uh, I bet so many organisers must be kicking themselves because the weather has been absolutely perfect for, for, um, or, you know, events uh, outside today. But uh, there we are. It isn't meant to be. Um, everybody did their best, I think, to, to remember uh, in their own way, hopefully. So, um, but people have still made the effort. I will just say that a lot yep. of people across the UK, especially around here in our area where me and Matt live, have made the effort to um, yeah. to, to dress their houses uh, in appropriate attire. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, we need to start wrapping up, guys, because basically we're going to run out of storage on, on our Libsyn account if we go on much longer. So uh, <laughs> we need to do the quickest wrap-up in history. Carlos, take it away. Okay, so <laughs> social media links. Uh, find us on uh, com. Email the show. Send us your feedback to podcast at com. We'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget you can send us your voice feedback and your uh, pictures and videos to our WhatsApp number. That's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. We would love to hear your uh, your views on the show and what you want to hear on the show as well. And don't forget to use our Amazon link on the website as well to uh, purchase your bits and pieces on, which I have done countless times this week you'll be pleased to know Matt excellent and also if you want to become a Patreon you can also become a Patreon of the show and just quickly I know Matt uh, you want to rush on but I want to say thanks to all our Patreon members because in the last few days we have invested in an incredible piece of kit in the studio where Matt is to improve and enhance the sound quality coming from the studio which I hope does reflect in the show this week so there we go. Fingers crossed. Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much to our patrons who have uh, done that. Uh, Nev, what are you up to this week? Uh, nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. Okay. Um, because <laughs> I'm not working for the next few weeks. So I'll probably do some video editing and some blog writing and more grass cutting and more right. car cleaning. I think that's lovely. Wow. A, 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 hectic, a hectic week ahead for you then. Um, uh, you, presumably, uh, Al, you're in a similar situation. What, what's on your itinerary next week? Uh, grouting the bathroom floor. Oh, I see. You really are living the Social dream. media, plainsafetypodcast.com, me and another bloke, occasional okay. guests, yeah. pretty good. Twitter, Airbus underscore Al, good night. Excellent. Right. <laughs> it's very efficient. That's the most efficient you've ever been. Uh, uh, Carlos, what are you up to next week? <laughs> this this week, I shall be doing what I've done most of this week, which is fly the sim in my office right. here. because I've okay. I've, I've got some new bits of kit this week, which I love, and uh, it's enhanced everything. Very You've nice. got, You've got some new knobs, haven't you? Oh. Yes, I have. Yes. <laughs> Quite. I okay. Well, well, I'll get Carlos to take us some pictures, and I'll put the we'll 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 um we'll show them next week uh, in the show. And uh, me, I, I'm doing pretty much the same. We've we've got a little sort of like big adult paddling pool, which, uh, given the fact that the weather's supposed to be nice for the next couple of days, I intend to spend most of my time in. So there we does are. this That's mean? I, does this mean I've got to make another drop? Yeah, very much so absolutely that'd be ideal okay. yeah 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 <laughs> it's an adult paddling pool yes i'm being i'm being shouted at by my producer it is indeed an adult paddling pool so quick yeah thank you to everyone who's joined us yep. in the chat room thanks to all the youtube viewers thanks to all the everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast each week big thanks to captain al for joining us tonight on the show as always al it is a massive pleasure to have you on the show a big thanks, thanks very much to the Big thanks to Nev as well for all his hard work on his bits and pieces on the show, yep. uh, all his uh, 
these reminiscing clips, the video clips we've had. Very good, Nev. Well done. And obviously, a big thanks to our producer, John, who's works in the background to make sure everything flows lovely. So yep, he, can me, very bo- he can be very bossy in the ears, can't he? That's I know he is. Yeah, I know. He's just like he's just like you're on a Saturday night when I'm doing a dis- uh, kitchen I disco. I, I, so, I'm only like that because I'm getting my own back. Anyway, uh, well, yes, we need to finish. Uh, for me, Carlos, I think we've got a new nickname for John now, haven't we? Oh, no. <laughs> because if he makes things flow nicely, we'll just call him Emodium. Right, okay. <laughs> we'll call him Emodium John. For me, Carlos here in my studio, from Matt over in the PTUK studios, Bye-bye. and from Nev in the Nev Tech studios, and Captain Al in the Airbus studios. Have a great weekend. Take care, everyone. Enjoy yourselves. Stay safe. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.